Six times in Astros history they have won a division. None since 2001. In the air. Who wants it? Correa. And for the first time in 16 years, the Astros are division champs. You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Staten, Jeremy Paxton, and Hunter Atkins. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 109 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Staten here with Jeremy Paxton. Hunter will join us in just a few minutes. But as you heard from the, uh, I guess, the intro music and uh, the voiceover from Todd Callis, the Houston Astros are the 2017 American League West champions. Uh, it, it's Clutch City or Crush City, if you will, uh, here in Houston. Uh, Jeremy, uh, how excited are you? The Astros are officially heading to playoff baseball in October. Actually, I'm, I'm kind of excited. Um, unlike previous seasons, I'm really, um, I've been really interested to see how the Astros have done this season. Um, you, you know, I think this is really a long time coming for them, just in terms of like the changes they made on the roster and the things that have transpired this season. I was just looking at their season record today. Really impressed. I saw the game. Um, all bit from a distance, but uh, I'm really pumped. You, you certainly are excited. I'm you, wearing an you, Astros jersey right now. Yeah, you're wearing an Astros jersey. It looks like <laughs> some uh, Astros flip flops there. I, and you I got don't some other, wear flip flops. You, you've got some like weird makeup on. That's like I, I have Astros. like a star. Yeah, on, yeah. Uh, that, I don't know what, news. dude. It's um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm actually wearing a, uh, a throwback uh, Craig Biggio jersey right now. I went to the game on Friday night. Uh, got to see uh, a. a, a Pretty good game. Astros actually swept the Seattle Mariners, uh, including uh, a nice performance from Justin Verlander, who moves to three and zero since he's been acquired by the Astros. Of course, the Astros uh, clinching the American League West with a seven to one win against the Seattle Mariners on Sunday afternoon, moving to ninety one and fifty eight on the season. Currently, they sit just a uh, you know a handful of games behind the Cleveland Indians for the number one overall seed. Uh, you kind of hope that they get that, uh, but you know we've got about two weeks left in the season, so we'll see. Uh, but Jeremy, uh, we have some fun guests on today's show we've got supreme court justice don willett who uh as you said uh you know is a boss texas supreme court justice yeah, texas yes. supreme court justice who uh was in the running for i guess scalia's uh vacancy uh and is speculated by a lot of people that he is going to end up on the federal bench whether it's at the uh, you know the appeals court level at one point or potentially the supreme court also we've got monday morning quarterback uh tim rowan uh who was also a, a writer for sports illustrated a great interview with him uh hunter and i handle that interview then of course we'll have uh taylor's top takeaways with uh taylor bashotti at the end of the show but uh Jeremy, it, it's it's episode 109. Uh, a lot went on this week besides, uh, you know, of course, the Astros winning the American League West. Uh, Thursday night, the Texans uh, got the first one of the season against the Bengals. Deshaun Watson moves to 1-0 as the starting quarterback. And you're, you're pausing right now. You're, I think you want to interrupt. What's going on? I, I do, because the Bengals are such a terrible team. They were 0-3 in the red zone. They held... They, they and, haven't and, scored a touchdown, offensive touchdown this season. Right. And so that that's kind of my point. I mean, like, I'm, I'm glad the Texans are patting themselves on the back for this win great great job i mean it, i think it was important for the team for a team that's supposed to go what like nine and seven this year um i, I think it's going to be a long road to that if, if they're actually going to get there um so i i don't know they held the Bengals held the texans like what like 260 something yards so it, it wasn't the it wasn't the prettiest game no, for the texans it was but the fact that I, I i was impressed with deshaun watson and that he you know managed the game effectively he did not turn the ball over he had a he had a nice run i mean look at it this way the Texans have an atrocious offensive line right Deshaun Watson was able to move around in the pocket make
make things happen. Uh, that long touchdown run uh, to put the Texans on top early, but I, I was impressed by him. I mean, he still has a long way to go before I think he's, you know, gets to that elite tier or even that second level uh, tier for a quarterback uh, in the NFL. But it looks like the Texans finally have one, maybe right. a quarterback, and two, a mobile quarterback. Well, in, in defense, stepped up too. I mean, JJ Watt Absolutely. got six good pressures on E. Dalton. I'm really pleased with his performance both on and off the field. Um, on a side note, I think his fundraiser is hovering around $37 million. Yeah, it officially ended on uh, Friday. And I, I, last that I had checked, it was over $33 million. I, see, I think right now they're kind of waiting to see where that goes. But yeah, J.J. Watt, uh, great game. He didn't rack up any sacks, but he was putting a lot of pressure on Andy Dalton. Uh, it, it, it's good to see him get back to full form. And I really like that hit that he had on the, uh, the center for the Bengals at the end of the game when they were trying, uh, you know, all those laterals that, you know, Cal Stanford essentially play uh, at the end of the game but uh, it doesn't get easier for the Texans they uh, they had to New England and Foxborough uh, this upcoming Sunday to take on the New England Patriots who knocked off the New Orleans Saints 36 to 20 on Sunday so uh, it was very important that they got the win in Cincinnati because I think there was a stat that was going on the NFL Network uh, Sunday morning that said that uh, teams that start 0-2 have like a 10% chance to make the playoffs, whereas if teams start 1-1, they have a 40% chance to make the playoffs. And of course, uh, right now we've got the Colts 0-2 in the AFC South, uh, Jags 1-1, Titans 1-1, Texans 1-1. So uh, you had to win that game. Right, absolutely. Um, I, I'm, you know... I do think the Patriots um, are beatable. I think like didn't they lose their season opener? I mean, they are they are a they did, but they played a Kansas City Chiefs team who's now two and zero. Right, that's true. Well, they are they are a beatable team, but going into Foxborough, I mean, I think we can remember. (laughs) Yes, we can remember from years past, especially last year. um, It was uh, awful. So I'm not really. I'm probably going to skip that game. I'm just going to read the stats, (laughs) but that's just me. All right, um, fair enough. I, I see that you're not you, you only uh, followed the Texans when they're when they're good, right? Is that what was that what I'm hearing? Uh, confession, yes, absolutely. I'm you're a, a fair weather. I am a shameless fair weather fan. I am, I am disappointed. I am you. not a fair weather fan for my sweet dear Baylor Bears, who of course <laughs> lost, to Duke. lost to Duke. They are zero and three on the season. So, and, and let's not forget, you know, I, I, Baylor's Baylor's going to be bad this year. Obviously, well, we're going to eke out two, three wins, maybe, maybe if we're lucky. Um, but Texas, Texas USC, the rematch. That was a fun game. It I, was I, fun. I really it was enjoyed fun. watching. And, it. And of course, and, and, of course, USC winning that game in uh, the second overtime. The second overtime. I watched. I, I watched that game to completion, and it was. It, it, it could. It was enjoyed with a fine cabernet. I was <laughs> sitting there watching victory yanked from their hands. So I, I was in actually overtime. drinking. I was actually drinking a red blend. So oh, I, that, okay. that's funny that we're in different locations, both drinking. Wine while watching football. On I, was, I, I was. Also, what does that say about our social life? Uh, pretty sad. Yeah, it, maybe. It's, it's, it's pretty nil. Maybe. Um, I, I'm an old man. I get tired at like <laughs> nine o'clock these days. So now I, I, I was, I was, you know, swirling the the wine around in my glass and looking up with my spy glasses uh, uh, to the television, and I saw that it's very classy as yeah. as the Texas quarterback was moving into the dog pile football stripped turnover, and it's pretty Did much you a spill given. any wine. When that happened, just out of celebration, did I spill any wine on the dog on Bo? Yes, I did. Okay, um, a few drops. But but um, I'll, I'll tell you what about Texas. Uh, you know they are one and two on the season. 
but I was impressed with their defensive effort. I mean, they were going against Sam Darnold, who is arguably one of the best uh, NFL quarterback prospects. Who's speculation says he's going to go number one, number two, somewhere. You know, depending on uh, which teams finish at the bottom of the NFL race this season. But Sam Darnold, uh, he didn't look that great against Texas, and he he made some great throws. But that Texas defense really impressed me. And I think Tom Herman does have this team moving in the right direction. I think they're going to uh, steal some wins this year from you know maybe the likes of oklahoma oklahoma state or tcu you know that upper tier of the big 12 i would agree with that i think the texas ou game is gonna be really interesting to watch this year i mean you have to remember they were playing the number four team in the country and are on their home turf so um it was sort of a rematch but i mean just remember texas won that rose bowl way back in the day and still has the national title usc of course uh does not so um, yeah, it's, it's going to be, I think Oklahoma state, Oklahoma will be the two teams to beat in the big 12 this year. Um, I'm really interested to see what happens, um, with some of the, you know, like the West Virginia, is West Virginia able to pull something off? Of course they won yesterday. Um, really actually kind of shocking Kansas state, which you would expect to be able to pull off a win, uh, did not, they lost in by what three points it, 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 the final score i think was like 14 to 7 against vanderbilt uh, but still you know that was a game they yeah. were favored uh, when when the game started when the game kicked right. off and i think Vanderbilt's they were five never favorites good. they aren't but uh, you know they since james franklin went to uh, penn state uh, you know they 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 have a, a a new head coach but you know this year they're 3 and 0 i think they could maybe contend with georgia with florida for that sec East crown, you know, I I think they're going to pull some upsets this year. That defense that they have looks absolutely stingy. Of course, uh, Kansas State, uh, you know, couldn't get things going uh, offensively. They had a, a lot of struggles uh, with wide receivers uh, dropping passes. Uh, you know, Ertz was not able to uh, use his legs as much as he typically does in a lot of games. They were able to spy on him pretty uh, effectively, but uh, there were also some uh, touchdowns that were called back in that game, which I think you know may have swayed uh, a little bit of a difference but uh you know you had just mentioned texas usc and that kind of brings me back um to this uh article from awful announcing i'm not sure if you saw it this week but uh it's been what seven years ish since the longhorn network made its debut and the longhorn network made its debut because uh, you know in the late I don't know. Is it, is it still around? It I, is. But from, oh, from wow. the stretch of like 2005 to 2010, when Texas played in two national championship games, of course, going one and one with a win against USC, a loss against Alabama, uh, they were the premier college football team in America. And so there was a lot of speculation that this Longhorn network was going to catapult them to the next level. And of course, we saw Texas A&M not satisfied, Nebraska not satisfied, Colorado not satisfied. Right. And they all left the Big 12. It broke the conference as it was, as it was constructed. And really, I mean, if we're being honest, you know, I don't blame Aggie for going for the I don't blame Texas also for, you know, inking a 12-year, $295 million guaranteed contract. You're right. ESPN enabled their dumb decision and it's ultimately on ESPN to deal with those consequences, both financial and otherwise, because, you know, I mean, and no one could have predicted what the NCAA did um, with because the, the plan was to televise high school sports on the on the on the network when football and Texas sports weren't. I thought it was going to be a recruiting ploy. Yeah, they thought it was going to be a recruiting tool. The NCAA saw that for what it was, canceled that. And then, of course, no one could have forecasted, at least back then, that people would be unplugging by the by the tens and hundreds of thousands from cable, from basic cable packages and sports packages. And no one could have forecasted that huge revenue loss that was heading for sports media. 
So, I mean, it, it you know, lo- looking at it now, I think the last thing I read, which I, I think was a couple months ago, that they were forecasted to make a profit maybe this year. But well, it's- to me, it's interesting because I, the, the biggest thing was one, as we just mentioned, it would give Texas a recruiting advantage, which would, you know, essentially put them on another level. Right in college football, that would that would put them as the team in the Big Twelve, and and that's what a lot of these schools wanted. But there, you know, there was a there was an interesting article this week, and again, awful announcing, and it was profiling, uh, you know, a, a Mac Ingle story from the Fort Worth Star Telegram. Uh, but the sto- the story said that uh, you know the creation of the Longhorn Network derailed a conference, but in actuality, the fear was sort of you know misbalanced. I mean, it didn't create this competitive imbalance that a lot of people thought. And now we see schools like Nebraska struggling because they can't recruit the state of Texas. Missouri struggling because they can't recruit the state of Texas. So I don't know. Is the Big 12 better off now in 2017 than it was in 2011 when the Big 12 network launched? No, we're, we're, still, we're still the sick man of the, of the Power Five. There's no doubt about that. I don't think, I mean, if you look at revenue, I mean, it's good. But it's, you know, SEC is, of course, the king um, in terms of, ad, you know, uh, network revenue. But I'm, I'm disappointed to see the fact that the conference is still, we're still called the Big 12, yet we have 10 members. Well, and same we have, thing with the Big 10, with we 14 have, schools. Well, sure. In, in, in the Big 10, they, they made some dumb decisions. I mean, like Maryland, really, you know. Um, Rutgers. Rutgers, yeah. So I think I would like, we've got poor little West Virginia, which I actually like West Virginia. I think that they're a good addition to our conference, but they're all the hell the way in Morgantown. And geographically, it doesn't make sense. It sort of reminds me of the way that, like, the AAC is kind of made up, where you have these schools that are across the country from each other, don't really have a whole lot in common. So I would like to see um, two of the older schools possibly come back into the fold. I mean, who knows? Money. I don't think that happens. Money's going to talk. Money's going to talk at the end of the day. So if the money's not there for either of them, it's not going to happen. Right. And, of course, uh, you know, the Big 12 has struggled with the college football playoff the last few seasons. But Oklahoma had uh, another win this week, uh, you know, against Tulane. It was not really an exciting game. They move up. They actually fall from number two to number three in this week's AP poll and coaches poll as Clemson passes them. But uh, uh, Oklahoma State actually shot up. Up in the uh, in the uh, in the AP poll, they moved from number nine to number six after a blowout win on the road against Pitt. Uh, they're number seven uh, in the uh, the coaches poll, but Oklahoma State has a uh, a tough matchup this week at home against TCU, who is ranked in you know both polls fifteen or sixteen, depending on which you look at. They had an, uh, an impressive shootout win against SMU, but I don't know. I think this year can be competitive for the Big Twelve, and I think it would help the conference credibility long term if they can get one who knows maybe two teams well i think in the, the playoffs the speculation has been well yeah i mean we're talking about playoff teams i'm still thinking conference expansion here um you know the, the question is if the big 12 did expand who would they add and of course the the more recent talk has been looking to the pac-12 because there are a lot of unhappy schools there particularly the arizonas um but i don't i don't really Which see that don't happening. look competitive right now yeah don't look competitive but i think to add to your argument you know that it would be in the best interest of the Big 12 to get a playoff contender, like a legitimate playoff contender that actually looks good, um, not just Oklahoma going in there and you know embarrassing themselves. Yeah, but uh, Baylor, Oklahoma, this weekend, it's it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty. Um, they but, are a 26-point favorite. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. In these kind of games, you sort of expect blowouts, and it might be a blowout. But I, I actually, so if we're looking at Baylor, looking at this past week, there were some things that improved, right? I mean, defense looked better. Defense looked a lot better. It was offense that was a shabby wreck. It was the pick sixes. I mean, Zach Smith threw three interceptions, 
Uh, we had four turnovers total. Um, it just, you know, poor performance offensively, which is, of course, if you're looking at Baylor over the past, you know, under Bryles, that's like completely opposite of what it's out of we're used to. Yeah. Yeah. And OK, so switching gears to another, I guess, big story that took place this week. Uh, Jamel Hill, who is the uh, the host of Sports Center 6 on ESPN, she sent out some tweets uh, Monday or Tuesday of this past week uh, criticizing uh, President Donald Trump, uh, saying that him and his supporters are white supremacists. Uh, ESPN did not suspend her. They issued a uh, public reprimand. I- I'm, I'm curious. We've seen ESPN in the past, uh, you know, suspend reporters for making political comments. They suspended and ultimately did not renew Bill Simmons' contract because he was critical of Roger Goodell. Uh, you know, they, they they essentially let go Kurt Schilling because of some conservative-type comments that they made. Uh, they recently suspended Linda Cohn for criticizing the company uh, you, you know, based on you know losing viewers for being allegedly left leaning now, but Jamel Hill uh, essentially just got a public reprimand and a slap on the wrist. I'm I'm curious. I think I know what your take is on this, but I'm curious. What is your take? I mean, do I have to say it? I mean, ESPN ESPN published their their editor their head editor published an article talking about because one of the complaints from I think a lot of fans here the past couple of years is that ESPN has become overtly political. They've taken something that's an escape for people, sports, right? And they've interjected, um, you know, different political agendas that sort of make it harder to enjoy sports without getting some sort of, um, you know, statement about some, you know, some social issue or some political issue that seems to be relevant to the people writing about it. So I don't necessarily mind the whole interjection of sports and politics. I mean, that, that's right. kind of why well, we and, have the show. And that, that's a separate issue from this, but it's connected. And what what I think is probably most obvious to any onlooker, even someone on the left side of things, is that ESPN has an agenda. They have a, a bent. And, well, they have an agenda to their shareholders. And, yeah, and, and Jamel Hill lines up with that agenda more so than a conservative so, might. So, so did you see Clay Travis from Outkick the Coverage this week. So one, he kind of made an ass of himself on CNN by saying that there are two things that he believes in. That's the First Amendment and boobs. And yeah, that, that's actually what he said. He got, he, I, saw, I, saw, I saw a couple he, articles yeah, condemning so, Clay Travis. Right. But, but granted, he is outlandish, and he was probably doing that as a publicity stunt to get more people to his website, which you know he, he owns his website. He owns his sales. So I'm very well for himself. That's his own thing. But he's speculating that... With the numbers that Sports Center Six, you know, are declining, you know, year over year, week after week, that maybe Jamel Hill is using this as a way to exit her ESPN contract and sort of make a name for herself. I, you know, that that's all speculation. I don't know. That's that. a fascinating take. In the words, brand yourself as an extremist in your own network to get fired because you don't like your contract. Um, that's really interesting. I don't know. I mean, Clay Travis has a lot of interesting ideas. Yeah, he's um, he's he's definitely an interesting character, without question. Yeah, yeah. But I, I don't I, know. I, it's, I, it's something I, to follow here. I can't up. speak to that. All I can say is that the fact that she still has a job speaks to ESPN's bias. Because if this was a conservative saying basically conservative things about, say, immigration or Kaepernick or what, take any hot button issue in sports that involves you know some sort of mixing of politics, and she would have been out. Yeah, but I mean, for me personally, one of the reasons why we kind of started this show is because we wanted sports, politics, and pop culture. And we're going to kind of discuss that here in a little bit with Tim Brown from Monday Morning Quarterback. Uh, he wrote a great piece last week on Colin Kaepernick. Uh, he actually wore a Colin Kaepernick jersey uh, to a Bills game. And, of course, 49ers were not playing. 
And it was interesting uh, to hear his perspective, uh, not only what he wrote in MMQB, but just hearing his perspective about being there around Bill's Mafia and just to hear their, uh, I don't know, some people supporting, some people heckling. It, it was very, very fascinating to me. But one last item before we move on, uh, Richard Deitch, who we've had on the show uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, he had an interesting tweet Sunday morning saying, from a source, Fox Sports Digital page views from August 19th to September 17th, 16.7 million page views. From May 27th through June 25th, they had 143.9 million page views. W- what changed there? I, I know the answer, but I'm, I'm asking you, what changed there? I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this one back to you. What 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 is what is your what is your take? Austin? So it's 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 very easy. May 27th through June 25th, they had actual sports writing on their website. Since then, it's been all video content, and that's fascinating to look at a one month comparison. 143.9 million people looking at your page, down to 16.7. I mean, Fox is looking to try to compete with ESPN. How do they do it? Well, it's this is actually this is really interesting because this has been um, something I think Hunter has in our in some of our conversations about like media and how like the quality is declining for the sake of um, like the clickbait mob, right? You, you, I see a lot of articles that either take in, in, in any number of things, either sports, science. You know other other things that we might discuss. You know um, on a show like this, and they they essentially pervert whatever is actually out there, whatever facts or whatever truth is out there about something, and they they sort of contort it to make it to where it's interesting and clickable. And I oh my gosh, I'm outraged, right? So there's sort of this there's this clickbait outrage outrage mom, which you know it just toys with people toys with people's emotions on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, and it's it's just for ad revenue. That's that's it. I mean there was a there was a story. There have been several stories um, this week about, like, um, there was a story about, like, um, they found some bones or something about, like, there's like, this, this Viking that they found the bones of, right? And there's been all these stories in, like, IFL Science and National Geographic, and they're completely, all of these stories about this Viking that's supposedly, like, a female warrior, when in fact it might not be. They're all saying, without a doubt, this is a female warrior, right? And it's simply to drive clicks to for people to go to those pages and read the story, even though the original research article doesn't necessarily say that. So this is a larger problem in like all of media in general, but with sports, yeah, it's like it's we're kind of dumbing down the content to appeal to a larger audience. It's it's this BuzzFeed clickbait culture that we see. I mean, uh, there is a uh, political newspaper website, whatever. It's called The Hill, and I'm I'm sure you're familiar with it. I, I followed them, and I say followed, because this week I actually had to unfollow them on Twitter just because I was so annoyed with how they were handling their social media. They were clearly, uh, there were at least three cases this week. I think one was in reference to Edward Snowden and WikiLinks. Another was in, in reference to uh, Susan Rice. And I think another one was in reference to Donald Trump. But all three of their tweets that they sent out had nothing to do with the article that was written. Right, like, right. I know. And, and, and it was like... That's exactly what I'm talking and, about. And Snowden actually called them out on Twitter because, you know, this article, I, I think it was it was talking about something with, like, immunity and Julian Assange. I, I, I don't know. Something with Russia. I don't remember the exact content of the article, but the tweet said something like, Edward Snowden talks with WikiLinks, and uh, when you actually read the article, it says nothing about WikiLinks. And, and Snowden called them out on that. So, yeah, I, I do see that as, like, an ongoing issue, but... I I, I don't know. I, I thought those numbers from Fox Sports were fascinating. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think it, I think it probably speaks to a larger problem. But you know, then again, I mean, that's if that's that's the way that that sports media is moving. Yeah, so. absolutely. But speaking of sports media, we've got some uh, great guests on today's show. We've got uh, Justice Don Willett, who is a uh, Texas Supreme Court justice. Uh, great interview with him. We talk about his social media presence and uh, you know what it is like to be a, sort of a judge here in the state of Texas. Also talk uh, a little bit uh, with you know some speculation on whether or not he ends up on a uh, federal bench at some point. But uh, after that, we're going to have Monday Morning Quarterbacks Tim Rowan on. We talk a little Colin Kaepernick. Uh, talk a little bit about the Texans, a little bit, uh, you know, of the storylines that we can expect in the NFL this season, and also a little bit of college football as well. So stay tuned for that. And also to wrap up the show, we'll have uh, Taylor Rashadi on with uh, Taylor's top takeaways. Uh, so we've got a great episode in store for you today, uh, one that we're really excited about on episode 109. But if you want to follow our work, just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, YouTube. We post content there throughout the week. Also, you can subscribe to our website at weeklybrewcast.com. But Jeremy, we've got a packed show on deck, so it's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Joining us now on The Weekly Brew podcast is Texas Supreme Court Justice Don Willett, who is also a fellow Baylor grad. And Justice Willett was appointed in 2005 by former Texas Governor Rick Perry and spent some time in the Bush administration as well. And Justice, uh, we appreciate you taking the time for joining us this week on the podcast. Guys, I'm thrilled to join you. This is a... truly a bucket list moment for me my wife has always said i've got a a face for radio so <laughs> no i'm honored to join you thank you well, we're definitely glad to have you as well and uh you know i, I just want to start off real quick uh you know this past week uh you know we honored uh those that you know perished during september 11th and as i understand uh you were in washington dc during the 9-11 attacks and uh what was that experience like for you, just being in the capital city with all of this going on? It was a truly an out-of-body experience. My wife and I were newlyweds at that time. We had arrived um, at the White House where we were both working early that morning, probably before dawn. And um, I was kind of diligently you know, tackling my work in my office and our executive assistant, Catherine came in to alert me to what was happening. The TV was on, but off to the side with the volume off. And I was oblivious to what was going on in New York. But um, to be there at the White House on that dark day, um, it's really difficult to find words to really describe the gravity of, of the sorrow, the fury, um, it was a, a bundle of every conceivable emotion. And I still see footage to this day of uh, myself and, and colleagues of mine you know, being told by Secret Service to to run, sprint from the White House. You know, there was still unaccounted for aircraft that were headed toward Washington. And um Now, looking back, I mean, it is now 16 years later, I have a a young cousin who was actually born on that day, on September 11, 2001, and she was a a really welcome light on a day of profound darkness. 
Yeah, I definitely remember that. I was a, a freshman at the Woodlands High School during that time, and I, it was it was definitely an eerie moment for me just witnessing everything on television as it unfolded. But, uh, you know, kind of specifically toward your background, uh, I find it just remarkable. I mean, you were adopted and raised in Northeast Texas by a single mom. Uh, you began working in your teens as a drummer and a professional bull rider, which I just think is fascinating, cause since, you know, especially since we're a rodeo town here in Houston. But uh, when you went to Baylor, you were a triple major, then you went to Duke Law School. What was it that kind of instilled that drive and passion for education and, you know, professional development at such a young age? Mm, Well, one trivial correction. I got paid for drumming, but definitely not for bull riding. I think I I I spent far more time hurtling through the air than I did actually on the backs of these um, one-ton beasts. But, um, no, you're right. I've had a, a really uncommon journey um as you mentioned adopted at birth pretty sickly pretty frail not expected uh, to even live and adopted you know after birth by my mom and dad my father passed away when he was 40 i was about to begin first grade and neither my mom nor my dad finished high school much less anything beyond and when he passed away you know my poor mom you know she did what a lot of heroic moms do she hunkered down and rolled her sleeves up and and poured herself out and you know sacrificed to support um, her family and she waited tables at the local truck stop along the interstate near the small uh, town of 32 people where I grew up I grew up out in a drafty double wide trailer surrounded by cotton and cattle and went to a neighboring bigger small town that actually had a school um, but I'm sort of living proof, I guess, of the, the potency, what a catapult educational attainment can be, how it can really elevate the trajectory, not only of your life, but the lives of generations to come and your family. And it's really um, remarkable to be kind of at the vanguard of a new era in your family where it's kind of expected now that that your children and their children will will have a, a wider range of opportunities because of, of some doors that, you know, God has opened for you. My mom, bless her heart, she's about to turn 87, and and she lives in, in the memory care unit of a facility outside of Austin, and I visit her frequently. Um, and she was never honestly able to help me a lot academically as I was going through school and, and trying to, you know, figure out, uh, my journey, but I tell you, in terms of embodying these virtues like grit and tenacity and fortitude, I mean, she um, is certainly the uh, the hero in all caps of my life, and um, you know, she gave me a, a sterling example of of the value of hard work and and sacrifice. Your your philosophy about judicial restraint and kind of your role or the the, the government's role in people's lives, um, you know, it's been reported that you're one of the legal minds that was considered by President Trump to replace uh, Scalia's vacancy in the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, do you think that your judicial philosophy uh, puts you in a prime position, maybe if a vacancy in the court opens up here soon? Oh golly, I I could not really. Uh, respond well to that is you know a, a million stars have to align 
<clears throat> for something like that. And virtually all of them are beyond your control. And, you know, I do my best uh, to do my best and to tackle my job with, with, with a sense of duty and conscientiousness. Uh, you know, a judge is not an, an ideological crusader. We're not a philosophical warrior. Our job is simply, it's pretty modest. It's just to, uh, you know, apply the law as we see it to the case before us and not to put a finger on the scale or put a finger in the wind to ensure that that some preferred group or some preferred cause comes out on top. There, there are a lot of votes that I cast that if I were in another branch of government, if I were, you know, a governor or a legislator, I might wish could come out the other way. But when I put that robe on, I have to I have to hang up, you know, all those personal, you know, preferences. And I have to go where I believe the law leads me. Um, but when I found myself on President Trump's, you know, shortlist about a year and a half ago, it was it was truly an out of body experience. And and for a, a small town kid like me who who did grow up in that in that rickety double wide trailer, um you know, the only growing up, the only robe I think I ever imagined wearing was probably in church choir or maybe uh, maybe high school graduation. So, you know, it's really impossible to put in words what a what a profound privilege it was to be in that conversation and to be considered. I know as Baylor uh, alums, we were definitely uh, pulling for you, and we're definitely hoping that if a vacancy does arise here in the future, that uh, uh, that you are uh, a nominee for SCOTUS or under consideration for a federal bench. But, you know, outside of being considered one of the most influential, you know, conservative jurists in the country, uh, you're also well known for your commentary on social media and your overall influence. And I'm kind of curious, how did that passion for social media come about? And how do you feel that it sort of helped or hindered your career? Because to my knowledge, you're probably the most vocal uh, justice that is out there on social media. Uh, which is frankly not exactly a sky high bar. I mean, to be the most vocal, ju- to be the most vocal justice on social media is sort of like being the the tallest munchkin in Oz. But uh, uh, now, honestly, I began my my social media um, antics. Um, when I was running for re-election back in 2012, we have to run for office every six years, and voters often know close to nothing about who these obscure judicial characters are. And you know, my name ID among the public hovers probably somewhere between slim and none. And voters get into the voting booth, and often their judicial selection method resembles eeny, meeny, miny, mo, or, or something even worse. And it often turns on, you know, how ballot-friendly is your name? Is it alliterative? Is it ear-pleasing? Does it have a judicial ring to it? So in a statewide election like I run, 254 counties, a couple of time zones, it is all about trying to tattoo your, your name onto the noggin to try to embed it into the short-term memories of voters. And more and more Americans consume information, especially political information, online and via social media. And it became obvious to me that it's really political malpractice not to um, leverage 
the potency of social media smartly uh, and try to remove distance, try to build awareness and, and try to raise visibility. Um, but yeah, as an obscure judge, you've really got to wield every tool you can smartly and effectively uh, to reach voters. So it began as a political communications tool. But you know, as a judge, uh, I'm somewhat uh, muzzled, thankfully, and I'm not expected and, and, and certainly should not wade into disputed legal or political issues. So I try to keep, I try to stay above the fray and keep it light and entertaining and and um, but I really enjoy the civic education aspect of it. I enjoy kind of demystifying and humanizing uh, this mysterious branch of government and um, to hopefully reinforce people's confidence in the judiciary. Well, and that's a really interesting way to take Twitter or social media as a way to like reinforce people's confidence in an institution. Um, would you say, you know, that you would have any advice or thoughts on how um, other political figures use Twitter or social media um, to, to, to the end of, you know, advancing confidence in their institution that they represent? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. And I guess I wouldn't presume to, to lecture or tutor other officials and other branches of government. You know, they have, um, I guess, in some measure, different purposes for, for using Twitter um, for engaging their constituents. And uh, I guess I'm just more familiar with with the purpose for which I use it, which is to educate the citizenry, to try to acquaint them with the work of the courts and their judiciary. Um I really prize kind of, the, again, the civic education component of what I do. Um, but I think the one reason why I have uh, a pretty wide followership, uh, not just numbers, but in terms of, of breadth, in terms of you know, the ideological spectrum of my followers, is because you know, I try to keep things you know, civil. You know, there's, a, there's no shortage of, of pyrotechnics and, and snark online and and i don't mind you know attitude or snark if it's kind of witty and and clever um but there's a lot of knee-jerk kind of virulence and and nastiness online and um and i i try never to go there and i try to keep it jocular and uh light and entertaining and above the fray and and i think as a judge that's the best place for me to be to try to educate and inform people um, in a statesmanlike way, hopefully a, a fun, lighthearted, uh, sometimes witty way. Um, but I think that's why my, my followership is um, somewhat large, but also really diverse in terms of, you know, the ideology of, of those who follow me. I think they really span the spectrum from the far left to the far right and and everybody in between. You know, kind of on that line, I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, that your follower base is is very diverse, and it seems like uh, you are well-respected, whether it's from liberals or conservatives uh, throughout the state and, you know, even nationally. How is your, you know, kind of openness to be able to help and and, and provide that, you know, open-door policy almost? How has that sort of helped or, you know, hindered your career in terms of whether it's mentoring or just having that overall approachability? Um, well, that is certainly a, a key virtue of Twitter is to remove distance and 
and raise visibility and enable people to interact with with me and other elected officials and and um, you know social media done right is not really a monologue it's really a conversation and I think um, you do yourself well to um, to welcome interaction with followers um, to have conversations with people people tweet at me all the time asking for advice on whether to go to law school or how best to um, you know study and do their best in law school um, so I always try to chime in they ask me for advice on on oral argument or briefing before courts and and um, so I always try to engage with people and and um, provide them with fruitful um, kind of personal tailored advice but um, but I think you know judges have always been viewed as these sort of disembodied brains who wear these black robes and they sit on this elevated bench above everybody and and they speak in these obscure kind of Latin phrases. And I think people find it astonishing and refreshing that a that a ultra nerdy judge like me, and believe me, my 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 geek quotient is on an <laughs> uber elite level. But people find it astonishing that a stodgy kind of stick in the mud, you know, Supreme Court justice can step out from behind the bench and come across as as engaging and you know somewhat ordinary but fun and approachable and eager to interact with people well i, I think it's uh i think it's a fair title you've earned the uh twitter laureate of texas um you kind of <laughs> of course justice what we are a houston-based podcast that focuses on a number of things you know sports politics pop culture um I, i'm curious as someone who is also passionate about athletics in our alma mater uh, what are your thoughts about Matt Rule and how Baylor is doing moving forward from the uh, from the dark cloud and the the issues that have impacted the school over the past two years? Uh, well, I was at last week's game and what a stunning defeat! And it really was a punch in the gut. And there's no way to really sugarcoat it. You know, the start to the season has gone from from bad to worse. But but all that said. I'm a Matt Rule fan. I'm an admirer of his. I think we're going to do it the right way. I think it's going to take the the patience of Job, perhaps, to get there. Um, <laughs> but as I remember, his his I think his first year at Temple, I think they were a, a three win team and maybe finished six and six in year two, and and uh, and then they reeled off a couple of. You know, ten win seasons and conference titles, and I know we're depleted by injuries and playing, you know, a lot of true freshmen, and people are shifting positions all over the field. And um, you know, I think his his actions as coach after those first two weeks have been pretty swift and pretty decisive in terms of personnel changes. Um, but I think we're going to be in, in a lean um, period for a while. But but um, you know, a loss is certainly a loss and I prefer wins over losses as we all do, but a loss doesn't have to be only a loss. I think it's all a matter of what you take away from it and, and the lessons that it teaches you. And so I've met coach rule. Um, I'm an admirer of his. I know given the recent success we've had, um, it's really a, 
again, a punch in the gut to have fallen, you know, so far so fast. But, um, but I have confidence that he's going to kind of rebuild this program brick by brick and, um, and do it the right way. Yeah, I definitely kind of agree with you, especially that brick by brick uh, sentiment. We had Amy Paget from Sikkim 365 on the podcast a few weeks ago, and that was something that she reiterated as well. But uh, again, we have Justice Don Willett from the Texas Supreme Court on the Weekly Brew podcast. And, uh, you know, for those that don't follow you on Twitter or social media and those that want to kind of follow your work and, you know, whether it's on the Supreme Court or, you know, just the insights you provide on social media, what is the best way for them to follow you? best question of the podcast uh, they can find me they can find me on twitter at justice willett with two t's on the end w-i-l-l-e-t-t i'm also for what it's worth i'm on instagram as well at justice willett facebook you know justice don willett um but i'd love for people to, to you know follow along condolences in advance um uh, it'll change your life maybe not necessarily for the better but <laughs> It'll be it'll be fun, but no, I, I I can't overstate my gratitude, guys. I'm I'm thrilled to join you today, and and um, I'm eager to go back and and listen myself to a number of your prior podcasts. Well, Justice Willow, we definitely appreciate you taking the time and joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Uh, my honor, guys. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. Joining us now, Tim Rohan from Sports Illustrated, formerly of the New York Times, and currently of my heart. Tim, how are you? <laughs> Hunter, Austin, guys, thanks for having me. This is uh, this is truly an honor. That's definitely not true. No, no, it's it's definitely not truly an honor. <laughs> you are doing a uh, you are doing me a solid for uh, for all kinds of lascivious favors I've done for you in the past. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that word means, but uh, uh, that's not true, Tim. Start. You know what that word means. Your middle name is lascivious. <laughs> oh, I challenge your listeners to go look up that word right now. To educate our audience a little bit more on Tim's background, one of the things that I think Tim is really exceptional at is being put into a reporting situation. So much of you know journalism now is, you know, you have websites devoted to quick reactions. Whatever happened in the big game, and then they'll write some pithy or humorous story and a react, but Tim is an excellent old school reporter in that you drop him into a place and he will come out with the best story. Uh, And I think that your recent story, Tim, where you wore a Colin Kaepernick jersey to a Bills-Jets game is a fantastic example of that. What were your expectations going in to reporting that story? And then what were the experiences that were unexpected uh, that you came out of it with? Yeah, well, thanks for the kind words, Hunter. Uh, I could say the same thing about you. But uh, no, so the you know, the expectations going in were uh, I might get beat up. I might get punched in the face. Uh, you know, I, I wrote about that in the story just, you know, and the editor <laughs> the editor that assigned it, you know, this wasn't my idea. This is an editor's idea. And the editor that assigned it was kind of, uh, you know, sheepish, relu- you know, like, uh, you know, like they thought, you know, I don't know, people really thought like, hey, you know, you might be in some danger here. I mean, people feel very, very strongly about Kaepernick and what he's doing on both sides. Um, and so, you know, there was a real thought that, I don't know, I was thinking walking up the stadium, I might get uh, I might get beat up today. Um, and uh, my, I went to the game with my buddy and he was really, he was really afraid. I, I, I didn't put, I didn't put all that in the story, but he was like, 
he was like really like not okay with doing this. He was like, as soon as he heard what we were doing, he was, you know, cause I kind of signed him up. I was like, Hey, uh, look, Pat, you're coming to the game with me. And, uh, <laughs> he was just, he was, he was very nervous, but, um, and then the actual experience was, you know, spoiler alert, I didn't get beat up. Um, you know, we kind of walked around to the tailgates before the game. Um, there was certainly people, I mean, I, you know, I got a dozen comments, probably more of people that, you know, it was always as they were passing by, you know, tailgates, you're, you're around, you know, hundreds of people. And so people passing were by. You were mostly drunk. Yeah. And it's nine in the morning, morning, mind you. So, um, you know, so, you know, there, there was always the, it is what you would expect, you know, they'd walk by, it, it, it'd take them a second to kind of recognize that, what, why is this dude, why is this dude wearing a Kaepernick jersey at a Bills Jets game? And then, you know, if it, and if they knew what it was, some of them might, you know, cuss me out or drop an expletive or tell me to get out of there or whatever. Um, so those people were, you know, it, it was, you know, you were, you fear that maybe one of those people would actually, you know, turn that into an action, um, but, you know, the people that I interacted with were pretty cordial and, you know, but I, I noted in the story, I think it, you know, probably played a big role that I was a reporter, you know, I couldn't misrepresent myself and, uh, you know, just be like, oh, I'm a regular Joe wearing a Kaepernick jersey. Like, no, I was, you know, writing a story and, you know, I kind of had to identify myself as such when people kind of engaged me. One of the things that I thought was very fair of you is that in your story, not only did you explain that you represented yourself as a reporter, but you can't deny the impact you might have had simply also being a white man, right? You know, you you ran into, um, I think it was a black couple who were fans, right? Who said that they wear Kaepernick jerseys all the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there was a black black middle-aged couple, Jets fans, um, and the woman, uh, yeah, the woman said her and her son, she actually... Uh, after the story came out, she tagged me on Instagram pictures of her and her son in their jerseys. And uh, the son looks adorable. But she was, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I, the story notes, like, she would have had, if she had worn her jersey that day, I can't imagine what, you know, what uh, the reaction or what kind of response she would have gotten. Um, you know, it's just, it's another, it was just another example of how, I mean, people, <laughs> people really, 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 really feel strongly about that. And I think we kind of, you know, already knew that, but I don't know, seeing it on a, on a ground level is kind of shocking. What do you think is the next evolution of the issue? Like what's the next step? Cause there were so many profiles of Kaepernick that came out before the season, the New York times profiled it, the Washington post, uh, bleacher report, your story, et cetera, et cetera. What is the next like thing that you think is going to happen regarding him and the issues? You know, I mean, you know, you could look at it, you know, because Michael Bennett's going to continue to sit, right? And there's going to be continue to, these protests are going to continue, you know? Um, and, you know, I, I'm just, I, you know, I don't know what the next step, I mean, that's just going to continue happening. I don't think, you know, they're not going to stop. The NFL can't, you know, come out and say, like, you know, stop protesting. They can't, you know, the league can't blackball, you know, 15 star players or whoever many are that are kind of kneeling or putting up a fist or doing whatever now. Um, so I think, you know, I honestly think the next step is there's going to be some re- resolution with either Kaepernick's job status. Like maybe someone signs him, maybe a quarterback gets hurt in week three and, you know, someone needs a, a backup in a pinch or, or he's going to come out. I don't know. I just, I think, you know, like you, you mentioned all these profiles have been written by all these national media outlets. He's going to come out and say something at some point. I mean, he's been, he's been tweeting, he's been active on social media, he tweeted supporting Jamel Hill the other day. 
I think he tweeted supporting Michael Bennett after you know Bennett told his story on Twitter a couple weeks ago or last whenever that was. Um, so, but you know, I don't know. I think at some point he's either going to break his silence or something's going to happen with his job situation. Um, you know, his supporters are trying to you know pressure the NFL to kind of uh, you know there was a rally outside the league headquarters a couple weeks ago and they wanted. The, the ralliers there wanted to set a meeting with Roger Goodell. I don't know if that happened. I, I, I don't know. At some, at some point, there's going to be some resolution. I mean, if this drags on and Kaepernick goes the whole year without getting a job, uh, you know, you wonder if he's ever going to play in the NFL again. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that I'm kind of curious about is you, you see in the NBA that the, the league sort of like embraces this culture of, you know, you can speak out, you can have these political opinions, whereas in the NFL, it's it's not the case. And obviously, Kaepernick has been blackballed by uh, NFL owners. And I guess my question for you is, why is it that we see guys like Ezekiel Elliott who, uh, you know, have like these domestic violence issues surrounding them, but are still cleared by the league to play? Uh, And then Colin Kaepernick has essentially done nothing wrong except speak out against what he feels are atrocities uh, that are taking place. Why is the league taking such a stand against this? Why are the owners uh, allowing this to happen, but, you know, giving Ezekiel Elliott a pass, essentially? (laughs) <laughs> that's a great question. I have no idea. I mean, that's the that's the million dollar question here, right? I mean, uh, you know, the Elliot thing is now going to go on for another year, and I'm my, you know, that's giving me a headache just thinking about that. Um, but you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, I think that's why the Kaepernick thing is so fascinating right now. Um, you know, the people, you know, and it, it seems as though people, there's a lot of people believe that he's being blackballed. Um, and to your point about the NBA, you know, when you brought up the NBA there, you know, I'd like to just say, how fun is the National Basketball Association? Like, you know, free agency, they turn it into a year-round sport. It's like a soap opera. Like, we, you know, you get to see that you, you feel like you know these guys, right? Like when Russell Westbrook's feuding with Kevin Durant or when, you know, Chris Paul comes and plays with James Harden down there in Houston. Like, I don't know, it, it feels like, you know, it's, it's, it's real entertainment, you know? And I guess... The NFL, you know, for forever, right? I mean, you guys know this. The NFL just, you know, no fun league, right? They just, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's been intrinsic that it's such, it's so corporate, it's so buttoned up, and I don't know. That's, I mean, I, that's why the NBA is only gaining in popularity and why people are just, you know, I don't know, NFL ratings are still down, right? I don't think the reviews after week one were very good. But Joe, hold on, hold on. It's, it's a little bit of a non sequitur. The, the, what I'm curious to know more about I guess is Roger Goodell's interactions with the issue because so, so last year you did an awesome story where you interviewed players who had been dis- disciplined by Roger Goodell, where they had to go have a meeting with him. Right. In your reporting of that story and your reporting of the league, do you, what are your instincts as to, you know, like how much Roger Goodell cares about the issues surrounding Ezekiel Elliott versus the issues surrounding Colin Kaepernick? Right and how those issues interact with what the owners want, all that stuff. Like I, I'd be much more interested to know your take on you know like how Roger Goodell probably, if if not how he feels about this stuff, just what his politics are around this stuff. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I I'm you know just up front, I've no you know inside you know I've no insight into what how what Roger actually thinks of either of those things, but. Um, you know, just from my reporting on the, the discipline story you, you referenced, I mean, with the Elliot, uh, 
you know, obviously, I mean, I, I reported, uh, you know, a little bit on the NFL's process uh, as they were researching in Elliott last year and investigating Elliott. Um, you know, obviously, they've been burned by, you know, these domestic violence, you know, things in the past. And, they, you know, they, they made the new policy in six games is the minimum. And, you know, they're relying on, you know, the girl, the uh, accuser, the victim, uh, alleged victim in this case, you know, she participated with, you know, she participated with the NFL's uh, investigation. You know, I, I, you know, you know, you're asking about what Roger thinks of Ezekiel Elliott versus Colin Kaepernick. You know, I, I, I don't, I mean, I, it seems like apples and oranges here. Um, I obviously, you know, I, you know, it's not Roger that's like accepting Elliott back in the league, but shunning Kaepernick, you know, and that's why it's, I mean, with Kaepernick, I mean, it's a decision that every team is making. I don't know if there's, you know, I mean, and and then now we're getting into the definition of blackballing, right? Like, I don't know if there's, you know, if all 32 owners got together and said, hey, we're not signing this guy, but if each individual team is making this decision on their own, like, okay, we, you know, we're not going to sign him for X reason. We're not going to sign him for Y reason. I just saw a headline on Twitter uh, you know, Philadelphia.com wrote a story about like Lurie in uh, Philadelphia saying he didn't want to sign Kaepernick. So, you know, I, you know, I, I guess I'm, you know, when you're I'm not really answering your question, but um, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I've, I don't know. I don't know why, uh, you know, I don't know if Elliot like being accepted back in. I mean, th- I mean, there's been a history of, you know, NFL players getting into, you know, I mean, that's the question. I mean, that's why that's why the Kaepernick thing is so so I, I, you know, I guess divisive. I, I'm kind of curious. I, I totally understand that these are like apples and oranges talking about Ezekiel Elliott and Colin Kaepernick. But I think a, a more adequate comparison could be, you know, the Michael Bennett situation in Seattle. And it was rumored in the offseason that Kaepernick uh, was a candidate as well as Robert Griffin to become backup for the Seahawks. And obviously that wasn't uh, what worked out. And my question for you is, from what you've heard around the league is there speculation that you know maybe Kaepernick doesn't want to be a backup quarterback and is perhaps the money an issue for him is that one of the reasons why he's holding out and is he making more of a name for himself as a, in as you know sort of a return being a political advocate and a spokesperson I have no idea and I think you know <laughs> these are these are these are the questions that we, we all have these same questions right and he hasn't you know the teams aren't coming out and saying anything, perhaps out of respect for Colin. And Colin's not coming out and saying anything because, you know, it, presumably he still wants to have a job and, you know, it's probably in his better, best interest not to say anything, you know, it's, you know that, that could be taken or twisted against him, right? But, I mean, okay, let's, I mean, we're, we're just speculating here. I mean, let's consider all, all the factors, right? Maybe he only wants to be a starter. Maybe he's looking for a certain amount of money. Maybe... Uh, you know, maybe teams don't think that his heart's really in it and that he's more interested in his activism now, right? Um, I mean, that's a perception that's out there. Uh, maybe the owner is afraid of backlash from fans and sponsors, which is a real thing, you know? I mean, I, you know, I've seen it just, you know, talking to people about how strongly people feel about this and how they're boycotting games because, you know, because he's kneeling during the national anthem. It's just, you know, kind of... Uh, you know, absurd thing. Um, but, um, you know, uh, anyway, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't have any, I don't have any firsthand, you know, I haven't talked to Kaepernick. And that's why, you know, again, that's why this is such not a yet. Tim. So moving off of Kaepernick, what are some other like interesting storylines for the NFL season 
And I don't, I don't mean that as like, Peter King, tell me who you think is a dark horse team. I just mean from Tim Rohan's perspective, as somebody who, you know, you love doing intimate profiles, something a little more niche. Um, just what are you interested as the NFL season unfolds so far? Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested in, you know, I've just read so much about the Patriots and the Falcons over the last six months. I'm interested in just hearing or seeing about anyone, you know, anyone that kind of emerged. It seems like there's a changing of the guard in the NFL right now, right? You know, I know we'll see what happens to the Patriots this year, but Brady and Belichick are getting a little older. Not saying they can't still win. I, I picked the Patriots to win the Super Bowl and the picks or whatever, but, you know, like... So wait, so David then there's Carter, not a changing of the guard. No, okay, well, you know, it's it's coming. You know, I don't know if it's this year, next year, or the year after, or whenever, but it's coming, and, like, Derek Carr and the Raiders are on the upswing, and people are talking about the Titans, and the Jaguars had an impressive win, and I know that's very football and, and not, you know, exactly what you're looking for, but, um, you know, I don't know, that stuff, and, you know, I think this Kaepernick and the protesting thing is, you know, one of the more interesting stories in the league right now, and it's something that, you know, a lot of people are interested in, and, you know, I don't know. I think that's going to continue to be a, a major thing throughout the season, um, especially with, you know, what's happened in this country in the last 15 months. Um, so, yeah. you know, I think the protests are going to continue to be a big thing. And, you know, we'll see if there's a changing of the guard. I don't know. Yeah, it's been absolutely fascinating to see what's gone on in this country in the last 15 months since Trump has been elected president. But uh, really quickly, you did mention the uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I was at the game on Sunday. The uh, I think what they had like 10 sacks against the uh, the Texans offensive line, and uh, of course we are recording this prior to the Texans playing the Bengals on Thursday night. Uh, so the game, as of the time that our listeners are listening to this, uh, will have already occurred. But uh, it doesn't look like in year four that Bill O'Brien has really done anything to move this offense forward and he was kind of brought in as this offensive guru uh, who was part of the Bill Belichick system uh, the offensive line still has issues uh, they have a lot of guys injured you have what five concussions this past week Brian Cushing now suspended for PEDs uh, is Bill O'Brien the right guy for the job or do you see the Texans potentially uh, moving on at the end of the season and just trying to get a fresh start yeah I mean I'm I, I never you know jump into those I never comment on uh someone else's uh you know job uh job security or whether they you know whether they or not they deserve to have a job or not I do I mean I think it's fair to point out I mean look it's all about the quarterback right it's I mean I I mean 10 sacks that's not going to get it done uh obviously they need a fixed offensive line or figure out something there whether you scheme it differently or whatever but uh you know he's got he's starting a rookie quarterback tonight right I mean he you know, well, I guess we'll see how Deshaun Watson plays the rest of the year. But, you know, Tom Savage wasn't going to be, you know, the answer. Um, and they picked Watson high for a reason. So I think you kind of have to, you know, let it let you know, see how it plays out with Watson. I mean, I just did a story on Marcus Mariota and, uh, and, and you know, talked to his quarterback's coach, Jason Michael, who's worked with him his first three years now. And, you know, there was a change in the coaches at Tennessee, but they kept Michael around just for continuity with, with Marcus and you know with a young quarterback you really need to develop him so I don't know what that could do to Deshaun if you have Bill O'Brien here for you know his first year you fire him completely change the staff it could you know I think you kind of have to give Bill time to work with Deshaun uh now you know it's week two uh I don't know it's way too soon to say whether or not someone should be fired at the end of the year 
yeah, it, it, I don't know. I think here in Texas and in, in, in Houston, we're trying to be a little bit hopeful that Deshaun Watson is the answer and that Bill O'Brien can get this thing turned around. But uh, Tim, as Hunter tells me, you are a, uh, a college football fan. And uh, unfortunately, one of we love Hunter on this podcast. Like, absolutely love him. He's great, uh, but he's not a college football fan. And we're actually taking him to the uh, the Baylor Oklahoma game uh, next Saturday, and it's going to be his first I don't know Texas college football experience. Tell Hunter why he's missing out and not embracing you know this this college football aura. Well, Hunter, I mean, it's it's basically I mean it's like a one big party. You know, I don't know. It's like. Sure, people, uh, you know, tailgate and drink before NFL games. But I don't know. It's you went to college. I mean, it, it's just like <laughs> this is true. This is true. Too. I did go to college, <laughs> which actually might be why I dislike college football. <laughs> you know, well, you know where I went. I went yeah. to Northwestern, yeah. and Tim went to yeah. Michigan. So obviously, we had yeah. diametrically opposed football experiences. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I don't know. It's like you know, it, there's something. There's something just innately nostalgic and like rah rah shish kumba about college sports and the fight band and the fight song. By the way, that's your new nickname. And... It's Tim Rah Rah Shish Kumba Rohan. <laughs> I just pulled that one out of my butt. Uh, no, I mean, you I'll know, put it it's, back in there. You know, you're, yeah, okay. So you're, you know, the 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 fight song, the you know, the alumni coming back, the school pride, and yeah, okay. I mean, you went to Northwestern, so that. But the football stinks. Know. Like this is my whole argument: is that yeah, the quality yeah, yeah. of play is so bad. Yeah, I mean, it's not 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 at the elite level. Oklahoma Oklahoma's gonna roll over Baylor probably, but I mean, you'll get to see Baker Mayfield. I mean, you know, it's like. It's like this moment in these people's lives. I'm just, I'm just fascinated by, you know, like, what if you peaked when you're 22 years old, right? Like, who knows what Johnny Manziel, Johnny Manziel, you know, Heisman, freshman year, freshman year, redshirt freshman wins the Heisman, and you know, now he's off partying and whatever he's doing. But I don't know. Just imagine that. Imagine you think back on yourself when you're, you know, I don't know. I think that's kind of like part of the charm of it. Is like. You know, I don't know what were you, what was I doing when I was 22 years old. I wasn't playing quarterback and you know winning the Heisman and winning a national. Team. It was just it's, I think it's just the the beauty of like being a student and you know I know okay we could talk about they have to pay the players and the NCAA exploiting uh, student athletes and you know, are they really student athletes blah blah blah. But um, I don't know I, I I like to live in a fantasy world where uh, you know everyone goes to class and. Uh, you know. Anyway, so I think you're gonna have fun, and uh, I hope you guys play beer pong or something on uh, at a tailgate. And uh, do you? I get the sense you, know. you miss covering college football, right? You love doing. Well, it. I, I like I like no, I like I like covering the NFL too. It's uh, you know, it, NFL's the most Don't popular, and most watched sport. I know you. You miss <laughs> yeah. covering college football. I miss it a little bit. I miss it a little bit. It's uh, you know, it, there's something about walking around. Okay, when when I covered college football a couple years ago. Uh, I'll never forget this. Walking, it was uh, LSU Alabama game, uh, 2013 or 2012, 2012. So you know, five years ago. But just walking through LSU's campus in Baton Rouge, you know, there's just, there's people tailgating everywhere. There, they had there, there, there was a game of beer pong going on on the steps of the law library. Like what else? Like what else do I need to tell you? Like it's just everyone on campus. It's a beautiful green college campus there's nothing you know there's no more beautiful sight than like a college campus on a autumn afternoon in you know 
before a football game. It's just, you know, everyone's having fun and you're about to go watch a football game. And yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. I think you're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah, we're definitely looking forward to uh, having him up there in uh, Waco at McLean Stadium, even though it's uh, obviously a different situation than it was, you know, two to three years ago. Baylor obviously in the rebuilding process, but uh, when one of the one of the things that I like about the the new college football playoff system is, you know, you can lose a game and still potentially win, uh, or, or at least get a playoff slot. And uh, early on, it, it's kind of t- tough to tell which teams are good, which teams are for real. Uh, you mentioned Baker Mayfield in Oklahoma. Uh, you know, this this past weekend at Ohio State, to I me, mean, they flat out dominated the Buckeyes on the road, uh, giving that win. Uh, the Big Twelve has been you know, kind of seen as, I don't know, uh, a down league, a team that hasn't... A joke. Yeah, a joke, as Hunter says. Is this a year with Oklahoma going on the road, getting a big win against a Big Ten school, Oklahoma State looking good early on? Is this the year that we could see potentially the Big 12 uh, make a run at the college football playoffs? Yeah, I think they could. I mean, you know, I mean, who does I mean, who does Oklahoma have to play the rest of the year, right? Uh I mean, do they play OK State? I'm sure they do, right? Yeah, so it's interesting. The, the Big 12 this year, they did add a conference championship game. and so, so there's a championship game. Yeah, there's a chance that Oklahoma and Oklahoma State could actually play twice this season. Okay. So, I mean, you, you just hope, I mean, if you're a Big you know, if you're a Big 12 fan, you just hope they don't, like, split that or they don't, they don't like, beat each other out, right? Like, you hope maybe one of them. I don't know if, I don't know if they're going to get two teams in. You know, the Big Ten's pretty good this year. You know, Alabama's, you know, SEC will probably, you know, SEC is always a power. Um, it probably helps that, like, Florida State lost Francois in the first game, right? So, uh, you know, and then there's a big game, Clemson-Louisville this weekend. I mean, you're right. I mean, you can lose a game early and still come back and, and make the playoff. I, that's what I like about the playoff, too. I think there's, Give us your picks. It's, it's, Who do you think is going to prevail? <laughs> okay, that's it. That's it put me on the spot. Um, you know, that's what I do, Tim. I know, I know, I know, Hunter. Um, you know, probably Bama. I mean, Hurt. You know, Hurts looked. I mean, he's looked. You know, they haven't. I don't know who they played, but you know, it's like Hurts is playing a high level, and they've got you know twelve NFL guys on the team. Um, so Bama will be one of the four. Um, I think USC gets there. Um, I love their quarterback Darnold. I think he's. You know, they look really good. They just beat they just beat the snot out of Stanford. Um, so, USC, Alabama. Um, who who else is in the, Who else is in the top ten? Can you run down the list for me? I'm I'm drawing a blank right now. Do you guys have it up? Uh, I don't have it up in front of me, but I can kind of give you a rough uh, guesstimate of it right now. Uh, you've got Clemson in the top ten. You've got yeah, uh, yeah. You've got Michigan, Ohio State. You've got Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Uh, yeah. Let's see. I think I think Washington is up there. Uh, yeah. who, who else am I missing? Northwestern. Yeah. Okay. Northwestern well, is not a yeah. top ten. Northwestern. USC, USC, and Alabama are my locks, and then you know, depending on, you know, I don't think Ohio State. You know, they're having issues with JT Barrett now, so you know they lost that game too. Um, I, I I don't want to say Michigan because then um, you know people are going to think I'm Homer, so I I can't say Michigan. But you know, I think there's just a group after that. I think USC and Alabama. are are in, and then, you know, whether it's Clemson, Michigan, um, Oklahoma, 
I don't know if OK State has the firepower to get in. I mean, I, I haven't seen them play yet this year. Are they? I mean, what, have you, Austin? What do you think about them? Gosh, I mean, they played offensively. They look great. Uh, but granted, you know, they're putting up points, but you know, it, it, you have to take it with a grain of salt because they've only played at this point as we're recording. They've only played Tulsa and then South Alabama. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. They've got, you know, some great offensive weapons uh, with Mason Rudolph, obviously, back as a senior quarterback. Uh, So, I don't know. They have the firepower. They beat Oklahoma uh, in recent years. Uh, I think it was, what, two years ago. So, I don't know. They've got veteran leaders on that team. It's just, you know, defense is coming. Uh, Defense is the big question. Well, I forgot about Penn State, too. I mean, Barkley's a real player. He's going to be the next great NFL running back. I mean, um, so, you know, Penn State – Penn State, Oklahoma, Michigan, Clemson, two of those four teams, you know, I have no idea. But uh, I think USC and Alabama will obviously make it. But Well, thank you. It should Tim, be fun to watch. For, oh, yeah. it will be fun to watch. Thank you for letting me put you on the spot. I know it's the thing you hate most in life and dread whenever you see my name pop up on your phone. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't dread, I don't dread seeing your name pop up on my phone, Hunter, as much as you may think so. But no, guys, as much as I may think so, I could show that I could show plenty of evidence that suggests that you're that you dodge my calls <laughs> and dodge my texts. Regina. <laughs> uh, but no, true. Tim and I had a really fun time at the uh, Super Bowl, which Tim covered here for Sports Illustrated. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll just, um, I'm going to give you a little outro here and say that if anybody wants to read Tim's work, it's exceptional. Um, even going back and diving back into some of his Super Bowl coverage where you covered both teams, but also you did a really fun story where you spent 24 hours with an Uber driver. It was a beautiful uh, immigrant story about a Turkish driver full of a lot of humor. Clearly, you thrive in environments around drunkards. <laughs> that, that's what I discovered. Uh, yeah, no, another friend of mine uh, pointed that out after the Kaepernick story. Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, that's, those are my people, I guess you could say. Those are your people. Um, and then where can people find you, Tim, on social media? Yeah, uh, I'm at Tim Rowan, R-O-H-A-N. And uh, I'm, I'm the guy tweeting out uh, my feed is just mostly Hunter Atkins stories. So, uh, oh, yeah. what, Boy, is that a lie that we can easily vet. <laughs> also, wait, this entire time I've been mispronouncing your last name as Rohan? It's Rowan? Yeah, 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 it's fine. Uh, you know, either way, it, I think uh, – yeah, it's, it's pronounced Rowan as if the H were a W, but, you know, it's no big deal. We're friends. Uh, I, feel, so. I know, but I feel, well, not only are we friends, but I've been crying it out in my sleep and, uh, you know, you know <laughs> incorrectly for years now. No. So Tim no, Rowan, okay. now I'm glad that I know. Yeah. And for all the single yeah. ladies out there, Tim is a handsome man. When we were uh, I'm gonna, covering the Super Bowl. I'm gonna hang, t- oh, you're going to hang up right now? I'm going to hang up right now. No, what are, Zero what are you percent chance. What, what are you, No, I'm giving you an endorsement. You're a tall, in great shape, smart, handsome guy. And, you know, you get a little anxious in the dating scene. I've seen it myself. I'm just saying, ladies out there, <laughs> take it easy on Tim. He's, he's a great guy. I can't speak for his oh, kissing abilities thanks, yet, but uh, I'd endorse them, too. Austin, what's going on, man? Where are you? Where, where's Austin? Is he like, like he, he he does he does this for all guests, so I I wouldn't be concerned about it. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. This isn't this isn't new. Okay. Well, anyway, all right. Well, Thank yeah. you so much, anyway. Tim. As always, stay in touch. And uh, oh, oh, what's the next thing you're working on? Uh, to be to uh, be D. I'll uh, or T T B D. I'll uh, I'll I'll keep that I'll keep that under wraps, but. Uh, Sorry, I can't. I can't. Uh, no, it's alright. I, I expect it. It's yeah. fine. We can all yeah. be assured that it's going to be really good. All right. Thanks again, Tim. I appreciate. Okay. It. Yeah.
Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Hunter Atkins here, Enterprise Sports Reporter for the Houston Chronicle, hosting again this time as a babyface, a beloved member of the Woo! Weekly Brewcast. <laughs> Woo indeed. Austin, thank you for letting me uh, lead this segment. It's my pleasure, Hunter. All right, so today we are recording on the day that the Astros clinched the Western Division, the Western Division, the West, excuse me, the AL West, uh, the first division title for them since 2001, 16 seasons. Uh, and it was a really fun game. Four home runs, a lot more power than they had shown lately, actually, including a big home run from, to me, the, the biggest home run was from Carlos Correa. We'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, big offense in terms of four home runs, and then an excellent outing, of course. Justin Verlander, 3-0 and since becoming an Astro. He's just looked phenomenal. He looks like the guy that you want to give the ball to in game one. Dallas Keuchel said after the game that if you know Verlander is the guy on the bump, Game one of the division series, there's no better guy to have. Wow. I, I agree with I him. I didn't hear him say that. I, I, I agree with him. I think, that, I think that's the guy you want in game one of the postseason. Will Hinge do it? That's a different thing. That's interesting. We, look, we've got another two to three weeks to, uh, to see who exactly. of the two of them is, is going to be better suited for game one. But, but just to, to stay in the present, uh, I have abstained from the kind of fandom that you have effusively offered on this show. Yeah, I'm, I'm wearing an Astros jersey right now. Still. Yeah, you're wearing an Astros <laughs> jersey that I believe you purchased probably in the eighth grade. It's is that correct? It's more like fifth. Fifth. Oh, that well, that would explain why it doesn't go below your nipples. Okay. <laughs> and um, but no, as a fan, how excited was the experience for you? Even though it was inevitable that they were going to win the division, was there was there a cli- did you did you achieve a climax today? No. Really, uh, you did I, not achieve climax today. <laughs> No, I, I think like it was it was exciting. Yes. So you were so you were cucked a little bit. But I, I, I we all expected this to happen. This is like a foregone mm-hmm. conclusion. I think to me it wasn't as exciting as 2015 when you know they, after years of just disastrous baseball they even got the wild card. I think to me the more exciting moment was when they won the wild card playoff game against the Yankees. I think For which gonna, I was there in person. Well, I, have we talked about that? We haven't. I, I, I think Are I'm going to be stoked when the Astros, if the Astros can beat whoever they're matched up against in the first round of the division series. I, I, to me, I think that, you know, if they can get to the ALCS, then I think I'm going to be excited. But this year they were favorites in the AL West. They got out to a 10-game lead in May. I, I mean, it's something expected. It's nice. It's great to, you know, make a post on social media and just, you know, do a little fist pump. But I'm very surprised by your measured response to this. I, I, thought you, I thought you would be way more goofy and gaga about well, it. I mean, the expectations are so high for this team. I mean, and honestly, they've struggled since the All-Star break. I, they're playing well in September, minus the, the sweep in Oakland, which was just disastrous. But, you know, I, I think they're like 11-5 and five so far this month as, as the time that we're recording. So they're, they're starting to get on track. But this is also a team that was on pace to win 112, 115 games for the better part of the season. And, and now they're, I don't know, 91 wins they they might get to 100 but you know look the dodgers were on a pace like that as well right. they lose 11 it, in a row yeah the indians tanked. now are the new it's, it's funny the indians are the new astros don't, the don't, indians 
are the new Dodgers. Well, don't sleep on the Diamondbacks either. I mean, they had a 12-game winning streak uh, The world just has slept forever on the <laughs> Diamondbacks. Even when they won in 2001, I think the world was sleeping on the Diamondbacks. Yeah, I think everyone wanted the Yankees to win that World Series. Either way, the, the point I'm making about the significance of a hot streak versus a cold streak, a peak versus a natter, something in the middle, um, I, I actually, I, let's just jump right ahead to the playoff implications. The Indians have the best record in the American League. They get Andrew Miller back. They get Andrew Miller Came back. Came back this week. And, um, you know, that's, that's going to be the newest discussion every single day, I'm sure, from A.J. Hinch, is how important it is to seal a home field advantage. How about... I don't think it matters. I, I was just about to say, I actually don't think it's a big deal. I think the reason that AJ probably is going to publicly keep saying that is because, you know, he wants to keep the team motivated slash he wants to make it seem to the public like he is keeping the team motivated with something. But I agree. I don't think it's that big a deal at all for for them to have a home field advantage. But I will tell you, in the postseason, I, I, I recall back to 2004, um, which was you know, kind of the peak years when they were playing the Cardinals in the National League Championship Series. They ended up losing that series. But when you go to Minute Maid Park and you have 43,000 fans in there in a playoff atmosphere with that roof closed, it is a different environment. And, of course, I think... I agree with that. I, I, I think that could give them somewhat of an edge. You're right. I, let me take it back. I, I said I don't think it matters at all. That was hyperbolic and ridiculous. I don't think it's as significant a competitive advantage right. as it might seem. In fact, I... I the best argument to accepting not giving not getting home field advantage is that these next two to three weeks, the Astros really need to rest a lot of players. They need to rest a lot of hitters, right? They need to also find a way. They're not going to get any better, these guys in the bullpen, so they might as well just try to rest Davinsky, Musgrove, Giles, Will Harris, who again, he's kind of on the fringe of these of high leverage situations, but I I really don't think there's actually time left for these guys to improve, right? Statistically, I think it's just much more important to let them rest, just have so them be as fresh as possible. So, what does that do possible. to your psyche? Because I, I I totally get you. Well, my psyche's I, fine. I feel but good. I, I mean, I feel great, Austin. Right. But if, if you're part of the Astros, I mean, what does other that than do for other your, than you being cucked from before? What, what does that do? to your psyche if you know if you do rest some of these players if you do you know let guys you know like tony sip get extended innings because he's probably not going to be on the postseason nah, roster they, they, they i mean past it i think i think that like forget everything that aj tells the media forget everything he doesn't tell a lot to the media no he do, he, he does but he certainly doesn't say a lot of things that are negative about players who objectively are, are bad who are playing poorly and it's not like players in the clubhouse. It's not like it's not like the Astros players don't realize that Tony Sip is bad. It's not like they don't know he will not be on the postseason roster. It doesn't matter. It's insignificant. They're already past it. Is what I'm saying. Especially now that they've clinched, everybody can take everybody. Every player can take a huge sigh of relief. Every player, I guess, except for the handful that are fighting for you know postseason roster spot. But it's it's insignificant. It w- it will not mean anything. And there will be questions, I'm sure, about how, well, like, you know, if he uses Sip a lot more, if he uses Francis Martez a lot more, and they lose games because of those guys. You know, the media, myself included, would say things, hey, you know, you guys are competing for the best record in the American League. Um, What about the conflict? You know, how conflicted do you feel about bringing guys like them who are less qualified 
versus really going for it with pitchers like Devo, Giles, et cetera, right? Like, and I, I, I expect in those moments, Hinch probably will find a very political, diplomatic way to explain that those are the best guys for the situation. He wanted to rest some of his relievers, blah, 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 blah. No, it, it, that, all that will be BS, all optics. But Tony Sip is probably going to pitch a lot, and it's, and it's going to be ridiculous. Yeah, Just Astros like it was, fans are going to blow up on Twitter. Well, uh, they might all they might already be fatigued and tired of the whole <laughs> like discussion about Tony Sip, but it, it's not just him, right? Like so he'll be you know he'll be a waste. Goodwan will be a waste. Everything in terms of if you want to talk about left-handed relievers, it's all all the eggs have been pushed in. I'm sorry, all the eggs, all the chips have been pushed in the middle of the table. All the eggs have been put in the same basket for Francisco Liriano. And he had, he had a good outing. He did. He he looked okay this weekend. Uh, but I, well, he well, he looked better than okay. He 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 struck out the heart. Of the Mariners lineup, so that, yeah, that's yeah. better. Uh, one guy that I want to touch on, and is somebody that we've touched on a little bit in the podcast the last few weeks, and also via text this week with uh, with with Derek Fogel, uh, cousin of Jared. Fogel. Yeah, cousin of Jared. Uh, hopefully, we'll have him on uh, here in a few Jared? few days. Uh, no, 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 Derek. Oh, but um, I was to say we'd have to get a collection. Lance call. Lance McCullers. Uh, he, he had the bullpen session on, what was it, Saturday. He was tentatively scheduled to start on Tuesday. That's not happening now. He's going to have another bullpen session. I mean, what can you tell us about him? I don't know. I don't know. It's just um, it's a lot of secrecy, right? I mean, it, do, do, yeah, we, do we believe team, Hench when he says that he wants him to be completely healthy, or is his stuff just not there in the bullpen sessions? Those are not mutually exclusive points. Oh, I, it, I don't... I actually, I mean, it's not a matter of like his stuff not being there. No, he's. Oh, oh, you think that that might have been a cover up? You're saying? No, no, because they probably would rather him work out the kinks in his stuff or his mechanics in one of these games that now don't really mean much or that mean less. Especially like we said, they're not going to really go for broke in terms of getting home field advantage. No, I, I think he probably is in fact suffering arm fatigue. Um, Lance has been really unhappy lately around the clubhouse, and um, how so? I don't. I don't want to get too into it. But it, it. I really don't. It's just not worth it because the truth is, I, I've not had a chance to speak with him. Like he, he's that. That is part of it. Is that Lance is one of the most fun, most interesting, smartest players in baseball to speak with. He's fabulous. He has not spoken to media much at all since. Especially since getting hurt, but really since after he had a really bad start in Detroit, I think it was. He had a bad start in Detroit. Um, I covered that game. I asked him after that game if he had any injuries, if he was hurt. He said no. The next day it came out that he was having back discomfort. And it's, you know, it's unraveled since then. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, if this is the way that he would like to handle it, where he wants to be private, he doesn't want to speak openly about it, I, there's no, we can't begrudge him for that. That's fine. Um, but I also would be, it would be inappropriate for me to like, make any conjecture or speculate as to exactly what is going on. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, uh, it, it's, it's, you want to have a healthy Lance McCullers in the postseason. I think that gives you the best chance to win. Uh, and No kidding. Well, Dude, I mean, right, I mean, imagine, right. it, but, 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 I mean, it's a, but, it's unre- th- but it's an unrealistic discussion, I think, right. because there, you just got to think about how much time is left. There's not much. Two weeks. He would have, so if Lance were to have made his start on Tuesday, he would have had three starts before the postseason. 
three starts is really, I mean, I really actually wish Derek was here. He could, he would offer so much better analysis than you and I could. But three starts is probably right on the line of whether a pitcher really could prove capable of being put into a postseason, starting a postseason game. Even if he threw like two perfect games, I don't, I don't know, like if that would change anything, you know, going forward for the postseason uh, for him. I, I think without question, his only role left on a postseason roster is going to be out of the bullpen. Another reason I wish Derek Fogel was here so he could gloat because he's been he's begging. been advocating that he's been advocating that for for months that he thinks Lance is a is a is more suited to be a reliever. As 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 weird as that might sound, I think to any average fan, because Lance had such a beautiful and excellent first half of the season, um, his stuff just, according to Derek, you know, plays better as a relief role, in a relief role. Yeah, that, that's interesting. So that, that brings on the question of, you know, what do you do with Peacock? Do you, do you put him as a third starter, or do you have Morton as a third starter, fourth starter? I don't know. It, it's the postseason. I don't think, wait, I don't th- but I don't think it's that spec. Well, I don't think it's so unclear. What do you mean? Yes. Is, is Peacock officially yes, in yes, a rotation? Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I, Lance... there, was, there was speculation for the longest time that right, Peacock that would, could go to the bullpen. But that is because, that's because he would translate better to the bullpen, in all likelihood, than Colin McHugh or Lance McCullers would. However, now that Lance McCullers is not an option to start a postseason game. Now that Hinch really has headed in the direction of not having Colin McHugh prepare to start a postseason game because he wants Colin McHugh to get some work out of the bullpen. He tried to do it this weekend. It just didn't work out. But in two consecutive games on Friday and Saturday, McHugh was available to come out of the bullpen. So without, so the rotation is going to be either Verlander or Keuchel, game one or two. I, we'll see how that turns out. I absolutely think Game three will be Peacock, and then four will be Morton. It's it's funny you say that because I'm I had a text conversation with my uh, my old roommate uh, this past week, Andrew Cooley, who we've had on the show just briefly a few times. Uh, he was asking me about McHugh to the pen, and you know I was telling him uh, that you know based on our conversation that we had this past week when we were watching the game that he's a guy that could be a flex guy, and you know he he could potentially start a game if needed. He can also go in. I'm and sorry, you're talking about McHugh. When you say McHugh, game, but McHugh. a postseason game. Just no for the rest of the season, and and, and so yeah. I I told him that if if I was AJ Hinch, my starting rotation for the playoffs would be Verlander one, Keuchel two, Peacock or McCullers. That was before we knew that McCullers was going to officially miss his start on Tuesday. So now, like you, I agree. Peacock has to be number three, and Morton. I I think he's your fourth guy, and and Morton. I thought he Morton's looked good. This he looked what, good know, on Friday night. He, ha- he he has a very low public profile. He doesn't, he doesn't get discussed much, especially now that they have Justin Verlander. But Morton is excellent. He's an well, excellent pitcher. His, his biggest issue this season seems to be when he gets to face you know, the, the third go-round and the lineup. And so, but in, in the postseason, that doesn't really matter. I mean, you could put in a guy like McHugh or McCullers uh, you know, in that fifth or sixth inning time frame to bridge until you get to you know, your Musgrove, your Giles, your Davinsky's. Yeah, I'd also have to look at... We, we could, we'll do a playoff preview and stuff like that. I'd be curious to look at which starters have the most run support on the team. My guess is Peacock probably has gotten the most run support. He he's, he's, he's pitched very well. Yeah. It's, it's, actually, it's independent. He's, his ERA is low. He's pitched well. He's kept them in games. Uh, Charlie Morton, I think, might probably be um, toward the lower end. I, don't, I can't think of too many times when... They put up ten runs yeah, for him or whatever. I mean, ten would be a lot, but even like six or seven. Because you know, yeah, I, I, I know that I personally have written 
and covered a few games where Morton has only given up three or four runs, and that's been that's been it. He can't, you know. So, in summation, he's a quality pitcher to have in the postseason. I, I and I'm thinking about the Indians, the Red Sox, the Yankees, with the exception of maybe the Indians. Morton would be the best like four starter by far. You know, the Indians are sort of this hodgepodge of guys who have caught fire, whether it's like Josh well, Tomlin and you, and Trevor you know, Bauer. You know that Kluber is going to like start, what, five of the seven games in a playoff series or something like that? They, they, I don't think Tito or I don't, I don't think Tito like cares about his well, arms as then, long as he get him a World the, Series championship. Then you know what? And then Justin Verlander will start, yeah. you know, five of seven for, for the Astros. <laughs> I mean, if, if he could do that, I would absolutely Let's, love it. I want to put a pin in our bullpen discussion and then circle back to the lineup, though. So the biggest problem going forward is the quality of the bullpen. And I do not think, I, I really don't, I do not think that the statistical results of the bullpen between now and the end of the season are, are going to translate, are going to help prognosticate the postseason performance of them. I, I, it's, it's about rest. Yeah. I th- I, and again, Derek will, at some point, we can get Derek to explain the significance of that for relievers. I mean, you have to be able to pitch every day as a reliever. That's the mantra. But the truth is, looking at looking the season at Davinsky, Will Harris, I'm trying to think, other guys who just seem to be to be toast right now. Um, they they've been overused, right? I think that Harris's injury is a direct result of being overused. This bone bruise that persisted in him, then you know his inability to come back on schedule. So you know, Jim Musgrove's been a huge uh, addition. He's bolstered their chances of having you know, effective relief. He pitched an excellent, gosh, yesterday on Saturday. He came in in the eighth with two runners on, a two-run lead, and you know, squelched the potential rally with two consecutive strikeouts and a weak uh, line out to a short. Give up a home run in the ninth, so he wasn't perfect. But, but he's a big deal to have. Um, so the combination of him, Harris, Devensky, that's the bridge to Giles. Maybe... Maybe Lance McCullers. I mean, that would it would be miraculous if I, I really do. That's a hyperbolic word. It would be surprising to me if Lance really committed, bought in, and did well um, in a relief role. I know the, 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 the concept, as Derek has la- outlined for us, is, is brilliant, that Lance McCullers is built to be excellent in that role. I just don't think between the ears it's something that he, uh, he's eager to accept. It's funny that you mentioned that because for Musgrove, they're relatively close-ish in age. Uh, you know, McCullers and, yeah. and, and Musgrove. Uh, Musgrove is 25, McCullers is 23. Yeah, and, and Musgrove, after the game on Sunday, was asked, you know, how he's kind of adjusted to moving into uh, the bullpen. And his response was, you know, he wasn't getting the job done in the rotation. And, you know, he said, I, I've, you know, kind of had to elevate my game. Uh, as a as a relief pitcher, and he's excelled in it so far this season. He's gotten better and better and more comfortable as it goes along. But he also qualified it with, you know, this doesn't necessarily mean that I'm, I'm going not gonna to be, be out star- of the yeah. right, right, right. I'm not going to be a starter in the future. But, you know, we've seen this before, you know, with, with guys like Andrew Miller, who, you know, kind of brought up as... It's a great example. Yeah, brought up as a, you know, a starter speculation, not going to cut it as, you know, maybe, maybe at best he's a number four, number five. And then you put him into that bullpen, and he excels. And I don't no, know. Lance would be excellent. Yeah. I, I just I just don't think that. Um, it's I hard. Think it's, to, I don't it's think it's something hard, he wants to do. It's hard to be an all star as a starter, and to to be seen as a guy at the beginning of the year who was a dark horse Cy Young winner. 
Cy Young candidates and to be moved to the bullpen. I think that's a little no, bit not different. Not Dark Horse. I mean, he's, he's I, legit I, Yeah, candidate. I think that is a little bit different than being a guy who's a fringe number five guy we'll to being see. a front in the rotation. But, 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 but the bullpen, it, it's the biggest issue. That is the biggest thing. They're going to need it. So it, It's become the most critical part. What was that stat that you tweeted out Saturday? It was, it was something with the oh, I wrote, record. Oh, I wrote that. Yeah, I don't... I don't necessarily know how it would translate to the postseason because managers manage their bullpen so differently. But in games in which the (laughs) the Astros' bullpen has not surrendered a run, they've only lost like 10 games or something like that, right? So when the bullpen keeps the uh, opposing team scoreless. In games in which the bullpen has surrendered runs, they were 45 and 48. That's crazy. It, it, so there, well, there's plenty of logic to it. I mean, it, it's especially when you look at the bullpen's ERA is ranked 20th in baseball. They have a bad bullpen. That is basically what we were saying, right? And it's it's so funny because you know in April and May you were talking about how dominant it was, but it comes and down last to the, season and it, last season yeah. and the season before that in 2015 and 2016 their bullpen was excellent. We talked about how Davinsky was the secret weapon. He's still very good. He's just he it's went, rest. I think. It's rest, yeah. 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 Well, his fastball command has been bad, too. Right. <laughs> All right. The last thing I want to say is that in terms of the lineup, what has been an underlying, I think, um, just subtle storyline that has not been talked much about is that Correa, Carlos Correa has not been good. You know, his average coming into today, he had a great game today, hit his first home run since coming back from uh, thumb surgery. His average coming into today was 212. He had two RBIs. I mean... This is a huge issue. He's their number four hitter. How much higher can my voice get? No, but um, I, th- I think it's a problem. I, I, I don't want to overreact and say that he's going to be bad in the playoffs. I will say that unlike the stats for the bullpen, I do think these next two weeks matter for it, him. Yeah, in a big way. Well, big, and keep in mind, he started slow. This season, he was able to correct some things yeah. with the swing plane. I don't, Derek was able to provide more analysis than I can, but he... Uh, He's a guy that I when, when he was when he was injured and there was speculation that he wouldn't come back until the middle of September. I was concerned because that only gave you two weeks to prepare for the postseason. I, I am glad you know he he has struggled. He he's played he played okay this series against the Mariners. wasn't wasn't the best, but Sunday he looked better. Uh, defensively, he's been fine, but offensively, I, I was glad that he at least came back in the first part of September. So that that way you have like a four week cushion between the playoffs because you knew uh, you knew obviously. he wasn't gonna you knew he wasn't gonna jump back into it. You know, being that MVP caliber player. It's, I don't. I I was I was much more confident and clearly naive to think that he would. I, I just thought he was having such a good season. He was so locked in that like a thumb injury. I really didn't think that that would derail him this much. Yeah. And there's still two weeks. In two weeks, he could figure it out. He can look like he had looked before his injury. But it's that he really isn't squaring balls up. He's not hitting balls hard. You know, it's not, it's not only that he's not getting hits. His outs are weak outs. So um, uh, Jay Kaplan, the Astros beat writer for the Houston Chronicle, had written about how Carlos's timing has been an issue, which is understandable. That's what happens when you are out for a while. You lose your sense of timing. I, I, maybe we can get Derek to break down you know, Carlos's swing or something, but it's, it's beyond that. He just, he's just not squaring the ball up. I think this is the most times that we've ever mentioned Derek, Derek on a podcast. We or, miss him. I know. Honestly, I think this is the most time that we've mentioned anyone on the podcast <laughs> Like that's not here specifically. Jeremy gets a lot of uh, a lot of mentions. That's fair. Jeremy's part of the podcast, but today, right now, it's just you and me talking about baseball. Um, all right. Any final thoughts about these next two weeks before the playoffs? 
I think you want to maintain health. I think that's the biggest thing. <laughs> Thank <laughs> that's you. All I is care that about. good for the Rockets? It, it is good for the Rockets. Oh, you I, want to maintain health? I, 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 I think, don't know. Maybe I, these guys will all just uh, stub their toes. I want to see. Mm. I want to see Keiko continue to pitch well. Um, I, I think yes. that's that's good. I agree I, with that. Um, I want to see. I want to see McCullers have a start. You know, or really? have a bullpen. I, yeah, I disagree. I, I think I, I want. I don't. I don't want him to go into the postseason cold. No, um, no, no, he won't go to the postseason cold. However, well, now I say that. See, yeah, I think that, I, I can't remember, but if he had started Tuesday, I wonder if his final start, his final potential start, what would have been Boston. the third start. I wonder, that might have been the last game of the season. I can't remember how it would have lined up. Either way, I, I, I would be more radical about it. I, I don't think it'll happen, but I, they should just put him in the bullpen now. Yeah. Just do it. Two other things that I want to see. Of course, I want to see Correa. Um, you know, continue to improve with his timing, hitting. Have to. Uh, one other thing, I, I want to see Fisher continue to hit the ball well, uh, especially with Carlos Beltran. I mean, he had a, he had a very good weekend, but I don't. God, I cannot. I, I cannot imagine that AJ Hinch is going to back Carlos Beltran fifth, no, or fourth in the postseason. I, I don't think so. It's, and, it seems and, insane, and especially especially with Mariznick out. I think you need another athletic and another dynamic outfielder, and so I want to see. Fisher. No, but Beltran would DH. I just, right. I don't, I, Beltran's bad also has been so bad. Now, right. now, Fisher, by the way, was, was, he was in a two for 26 slump until Saturday. So it's not like he's hit well. So I, he probably will be on the, well, I, sh- I shouldn't say that. I was going to say he probably will be on the roster, but now I think about it, I, I actually don't know because he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be the first choice probably to supplant somebody like Marizic. It's going to be a combination of Mabin and Marwin Gonzalez. So now it comes down to, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tie it up here. Mabin is probably your speed guy too. He's the stolen base guy. It's not going to be Derek Fisher. Even though Derek Fisher is fast, it will be Mabin. So thus, do you, would you rather have Derek Fisher than have an extra arm in the bullpen? Probably not. Right. Probably not. They probably are going to want as many choices, you know, even even if it's a guy like Francis Martez, who's not pitched too well, Hinch might want him for one, one inning out. rather than, yeah. well, not one out. He probably, I mean, either way, he, he, would, he might want Francis Martez available more than Derek Fisher. I want to ask you one more thing. This is something that Jeff Blom asked Jake Marisnik. I saw in it post-game. in the post game. And it was something that I was thinking about earlier this week. If Marisnik is probably one of your speediest guys, he can bring him in for a pitch running situation. If even if he's wearing a cast, would you give him a playoff roster spot? Whether- I don't. I don't think so. I think Jake Kaplan definitely would be more qualified to talk about this than I would. But Marisnik's greatest strength is fielding. It's not. He's he's fast, but his greatest his, strength isn't like in right. a foot race. Is there? Why would we take him over uh, Mabin or Fisher? Well, I, I think you definitely have Mabin, obviously. But I that's mean, the, the, no, you wouldn't. To, the answer is no. Marisnik will not be in the roster. Just had to ask. Just had to ask. Had to answer. I appreciate the answer. All right, this is fun as always. Uh, next time, maybe we can get Derek to actually offer real analysis, unlike us just bloviating um, about what might or might not happen. Yeah, what might let's or might get be Derek. Let's get good. Jake, and we'll just let them talk. Ooh. That would be a fun combination. I don't know if they've ever spoken. I'm not gonna lie. I don't think they've ever spoken in real life. We'll have to introduce them, I guess. It'll be you know how for years like people talk about God, it'd be so great to see Pacino and uh, De Niro in the same <laughs> movie. It'll be like just like that, except better. Except better. <laughs> Thanks, Austin. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. After a week full of NFL games. 
It's time to break it all down with the NFL Network's Taylor Bashotti on Taylor's Top Takeaways. And what a week it was in the NFL. And joining us now to, of course, break it all down is Taylor Bashotti for Taylor's Top Takeaways. And uh, Taylor, good to have you back here for week two. And you were at the Coliseum in L.A. for Rams Redskins on Sunday. Uh, L.A. had the chance to tie it late in the ball game, but Jared Goff threw a costly interception at the end of the game. Uh, watching it in person, uh, what did you make of both teams? You know, it was an interesting game, and I thought it was especially exciting just because it was Sean McVay. Obviously, he just left the Redskins last year as the offensive coordinator and became the head coach of the Rams. And it was a great game. The crowd was actually a lot, comparing it to last year, um, the crowd was a lot better this year. And there was definitely some excitement towards the Rams. I mean, like, fans were really excited to come out here and see this game. I think it's just because they were coming off such a big win. And what was really what really stood out to me is that when you think about the Redskins and how much that Sean McVay did do for Kirk Cousins as a quarterback, I actually had tweeted out a tidbit or a fact earlier in the day from our research notes saying that before... McVay, I think Kurt had his passer rating was a 67.5 and then after him it was in the above 95 percent so it's just it was amazing to see just how much he did for Kirk and how much he was able to develop him and make him into the quarterback that he is today and I think that a lot of the excitement that was around the Rams is especially just for Jared Goff and how much that he could really do for him and develop him as a quarterback um I think that our offense I thought the Rams offense looked fantastic. I mean, obviously it's not exactly where it needs to be, but if you just kind of look at Jared Goff's presence on the field, you can tell he's more comfortable in the pocket. You can tell that, you know, he's throwing the ball more. He's just a more confident quarterback. Um, It looks like he and Gurley have a better repertoire together. Gerald Everett, their uh, tight end that they drafted this year. I mean, what a stud. Todd Gurley, Todd Gurley is another aspect of that offense that looks like he's really developed into his own this year and, Not that he ever really wasn't, but there was just nobody else for them to stretch the field last year. And so I feel like obviously Gurley was double covered every play last year and he never really had a breakout season. So it was funny. I was sitting up watching the game and all of a sudden Gurley breaks loose and I'm thinking, wow, I feel like I'm flashing back to my days at the University of Georgia (laughs) when he would play between the hedges and every game I feel like it was like, there goes Gurley. Um, So a little bit of deja vu there, which was... It was fun. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of fun to watch because, you know, Jeff Fisher seemed to be that old school coach. You know, he was he was so great for the Oilers and the Titans for so long. But, you know, since he moved on with the Rams, he just, I don't know, he could never get them over that hump. And it's kind of exciting to see what McVay has done in the first two games. But one of the things that I want to ask you real quick, and we didn't go over this in show prep, but uh, it, there was a big game on Saturday in Los Angeles between USC and Texas. And I saw a note on uh, Monday morning that said, uh, if you take the combined Bind attendance between the Rams and Chargers in Los Angeles, it still did not meet the crowd that the Coliseum drew for UT Texas. In terms of LA, are they embracing the NFL in that city? You know, I think that's a funny point that you bring up. And I was actually just talking to one of my friends about this today. And it's tough. I mean, Los Angeles is a city. I definitely think that they are embracing the NFL in the city. I don't know as much about the Chargers. Um, Definitely definitely for the Rams, but I mean, there's only so much time that people have to, you know, allot it to sports. And obviously the USC game is a huge game against Texas. And I think that most of the people that 
we're choosing, we're going to go to that game over the NFL game. And I understand it, but I also think that there's a lot of distractions in LA. I think there's the beach, there's the weather, there's so many other outdoor activities that you could be doing. And there's really not that many other cities that NFL, like cities that there are NFL teams in that have as much of a college presence of a big college school of football and an NFL. Do you know what I'm saying? So if you think about it, here we've got UCLA, USC, the Rams, the Chargers. So it's like how many how many sporting events can you go to? It's asking a lot of It's almost oversaturated. Fans. It's oh, it's almost oversaturated. Um I mean I, I'm literally I'm trying to think about it right now and it's like even in a I'm, I'm from Atlanta so I'm thinking about Georgia so there's Georgia but then that's an hour away from an but, hour I, but, I, but I also I also I also feel like the south is a completely different animal I mean I feel oh, it's when totally, you're in the southeast it's all football like, like 24 yeah, 7 yeah absolutely <laughs> but again I do want to say that there was a better crowd this year at this Rams game than I than I saw last year and I went to a couple games last year and I definitely felt like the crowd was more energetic more excited there was definitely a big crowd there and there was surprisingly a lot of Redskins fan that, fans there as well I think a lot of people just want to travel out to LA for football games I mean, of course the Texans <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> exactly uh the Texans play in Los Angeles later this year uh but yeah I think it's also going to help them once they get that new stadium built that they're going to share with the uh, the Chargers but uh you know kind of moving on real quick uh you know just talking about some of the big surprises of this week uh Denver Wow. I mean, wow. they just absolutely dismantled the Cowboys. I mean, we knew Denver was good. We knew Dallas was good. But 42-17, to 17, I, I just did not see that coming. They shut down Dak Prescott. They shut down Zeke Elliott, mm-hmm. who looked like he was pouting on the sidelines. Trevor Simeon looked yeah, good. CJ Anderson. <laughs> what? Yeah, what did you make of the game? Uh, I mean, obviously, Denver is such a strong team. And, you know, Dallas is a great team as well. So it's not like they lost to a dud. I mean, they lost to the Denver Broncos. Um. Trevor Simeon had a hell of a game. He tied his career best for four touchdown passes. They're arguably one of the best teams in the league. Um, in our research notes today, I read an interesting fact that the Broncos are the only team to start 2-0 the last five seasons. And I just think that the Broncos were on and the Cowboys just had an off game. Ezekiel Elliott finished with eight yards on nine carries, which was a career low for him. Uh, he entered the game averaging 184 rushing yards crazy. in his career so obviously he was having an off game like you said earlier cj anderson trevor simeon they just kind of destroyed him should should cowboys fans be somewhat concerned because it seemed like zeke was trying to force the ball to des bryant a lot des is not uh you know he's been targeted a lot but his receptions are down uh, they have a great offensive line but zeke was not able to make anything happen behind that offensive line i mean is there cause for concern in dallas i don't think so i think that a lot of people like to overreact like we were talking about <laughs> it's only week two i think that they'll definitely have the opportunity to kind of get it together I don't think that it was the performance that any Cowboys fan wanted to see, but I definitely think there's time to turn it around. Yeah, and I guess that makes sense. We can't overreact after week two. I mean, maybe if this was a prolonged, you know, happen in week two, week three, week four, then, you know, you could start to make some uh, assumptions. But, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, but outside of that game, I mean, uh, the Bucks opened their season against the Bears, who are probably one of the worst teams in the NFL this year. They yeah. looked good. Deshaun Watson looked good getting his first start Deshaun as Texas Watson quarterback. Yeah, exactly. Um, on his birthday, I thought that was so neat. Yeah, it's a great birthday and that present. That was kind of a slow game, and that was one that was almost putting me to sleep on Thursday night, and then all of a sudden <laughs> it kind of picked up with Watson's touchdown, 
which yeah, just, everybody he just, kind he, of went crazy Yeah, over. he just, like, completely re-energized uh, the, the crowd. The last play yeah. of the game where J.J. Watt... Um, oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, that's all I can say. I, I mean, mean, he it, looked like he came to... So Can't so here's <laughs> here's an interesting note. I was actually watching the game on the NFL Network, but the game was also simulcasted locally on NBC I and heard apparently the local yeah, ones didn't get that play. Apparently they had a reporter on the sideline saying, you know, the game's over, the Texans just won, and then you see the play happening in the background on the live shot and it's like, come on, NBC, you got to do a better job. I know. I heard that. I heard that and that's so it's so funny. But at the end of the day, here's an endorsement for the NFL Network. Watch the game on the NFL Network, folks. Oh, seriously. I mean, <laughs> watch it there. It's a way better spot to watch it. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, outside of those games, I mean, of course, we saw Atlanta look good against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers Atlanta opening up their really new stadium. Good. Tom Brady bounces back. Atlanta looked good. What do you think about, uh, you know, the big winners and losers from week two? The Falcons look just really, really good. I think their offense just looks incredible they're here to stay um julio jones hooper their running game matt matt ryan has quite the deck of cards to deal like to work with this year so i don't see them going away anytime soon um i thought that you know the ravens had a great game but they had a big loss um with yonda out for the season uh watching the monday night football game right now as we speak since we're doing this during halftime and it just started back up but uh the Giants are losing, and if they lose tonight, they'll be the only team that made the playoffs last year to start off their season 0-2. So I thought that was interesting. Um, but, you know, it's, it's still a good game. Who knows? They could come back. I think the Chiefs and Raiders are going to fight until Week 17. Oh, absolutely. AFC yeah. West. Those are two solid, solid teams. Kareem Hunt is the first player in NFL history to have at least three rushing touchdowns and two receiving touchdowns in his first two career games. So if he's on your fantasy team, you're golden. You're pretty much golden. <laughs> um, the Seahawks have offensive issues. The Vikings, I think it was tough for them to not have Sam Bradford. But it's such a Sam Bradford thing to do, to have his <laughs> second best career game the week before and then be injured and out. But I think that there's a chance that we might see him this upcoming week. So that'll definitely be a big boost for them. The Chargers... I don't even know what to say. It's heartbreaking for their fans. They have 11 losses in one possession games since the start of 2016. I mean, that to me, that is that coaching? Is that game management? I mean, because to be that close that many times and come away with a loss, that seems like a it trend. Has to, you've got to at least attribute some of that to game management, clock management. Yeah, definitely frustrating for San Diego fans. Not not the, not the LA fans, but the San Diego fans. They had their team taken away from them and then I know. and then all of this transpires this year. So, tough luck for them, but you know, NFL, it's it's a it's a, it's a revenue league, got to have stadiums and I'll tell you what, it was interesting watching them play in a soccer stadium that only held 30,000 people. You know, I still I really wanted to go to a preseason game there to see what it was like and I haven't been to a regular season game there yet. But I think it would be a really neat experience. You know, I think it's it's almost a blessing in disguise that they're playing in that kind of stadium because I think it gives the fans that do really want to come out and see the game, it gives them an intimate experience. And an experience that you'll never see in any other stadium, any other NFL stadium, of being in a stadium that's so close and you're basically on the field for every play, which has to be really neat. You know, I've been there for a concert and I just – I. I truly can't imagine watching an NFL game in a stadium and venue that small where there isn't that many fans. And you feel like you're literally on the field. So 
for people that are debating going to one of their games, go this year. You'll definitely have a different experience and one that's probably really, really neat. And I don't know if you'll ever really get it again. Yeah, my recommendation though, if you do go to the game, make sure that you Uber because I heard parking spots. Oh, parking apparently a hundred dollars. How crazy <laughs> is that? Um, yeah, what a little monopoly those those companies have over there. But that's ridiculous. Definitely Uber. Yeah, absolutely. And we could probably find like an Uber code to give you guys if uh, if if anyone's interested. Just shoot us a tweet at Weekly Brewcast or at Taylor Vashadi. Uh, but speaking of soccer games or football games being played in soccer stadiums. Uh, I heard a rumor that you're actually going to be uh, heading over to London uh, this week for a football game. Uh, Tell us about that. I am. So I leave on Thursday after work for the Jags-Ravens game on the 24th, which I am so excited about. Uh, It's one of four games that will be played in London this year. There's going to be two games played at Wembley Stadium and two games played at Twickenham. This one will be played at Wembley, and I am super excited for it. Um, obviously it's my first international game, NFL game that I've ever gone to, and it's going to be great. I'm really excited. So I land on Friday, leave Thursday, land on Friday, and we'll go straight to Jags and Ravens practice. So I'm very, very excited. So you're going to be jet lag going to practice. That, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> Hopefully I'll be able to sleep on the plane. I don't know. I'm not much of a sleeper on planes, but I feel like if it's a flight that's that long, let's hope I fall asleep. Let's hope I fall asleep. So, so here's my trick. Uh, take it if you will. A glass of wine. I was going to say or two or three. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep going until you pass out. Exactly. I did that on my flight this year from Houston to Tokyo and it worked. I was passed out within three hours, slept, no jet lag. Yeah, I'm, it's so, foolproof. I'm so jealous that you gone to Tokyo. So. <laughs> so I guess what are you looking forward to about this game in, in London? Just experiencing the atmosphere. I mean, what are some of your expectations going into um, an environment that kind of intrigues the NFL? I mean, obviously moving up from one game to two games to four games this year. There's speculation that the NFL and Roger Goodell want a team in London at some point. What do you expect from this week? Yeah, you know, I'm actually really excited to go kind of see firsthand just how much of an NFL fan base there really is there. You know, you hear that it keeps growing and growing and growing. But from what I can tell, it it truly genuinely is. I feel like I get a lot of um, UK fans on Twitter. I feel like I get a lot of like NFL UK fans through various different social media platforms. And so I feel like it's definitely something that's growing. I'm excited to see the different um types of fans there see how passionate they are because from what I can tell they're very passionate so I'm excited to just kind of like see what 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 it's all about there perfect (laughs) well Taylor we definitely appreciate you joining us for uh, your segment Taylor's top takeaways from week two of the NFL and uh, we hope you have safe travels over to the UK this week thank you and thank you so much for having me again Closing time. Another phenomenal episode of the Weekly Brew Podcast. And, you know, it's actually interesting, Jeremy. Uh, we had three great guests this week. Supreme Court Justice Don Willett, Tim Rowan from Monday Morning Quarterback, of course, Taylor Rashani. But uh, I had somebody this week tell me that, you know, that they don't know how genuine it is when I say that we have another great episode. But I honestly feel like that each week when we have, you know, great guests like we do week in and week out. I mean, it, it literally is another great episode of the podcast. Austin, you're all the always seething with a genuine, <laughs> genuine personal affect. I, I just you're 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 never ever trying to blindside anybody or or 
label things as things that they're not. No, you're you're very honest. I, I'm just giving it straightforward. I Absolutely. Mean, I, I think that we have the best podcast in the city of Houston. I guess if you are if you are going to look at another podcast, I would recommend the Age Podcast from Luke Bronner. It, it's two completely different animals. His is more storytelling. Ours is banter conversation uh but uh, you know i think there are two different platforms that we essentially cater to but we actually had uh it it was interesting this week we didn't post uh this week's episode until what was it tuesday or wednesday and i think the result of that was because we were waiting on all the nfl games uh to finish up this week's before we debuted uh taylor's segment uh taylor's top takeaways but we had a tweet come in and it said great episode i frantically searched to see if an episode is posted each monday morning lol and that was from eddie hassan and we also had uh, another tweet come in from uh only jared i'm not i'm not sure who that is but he said awesome thanks a lot for posting love taylor she always does excellent work so we we have some positive feedback from having uh you know taylor's new segment uh, which i hope everyone uh enjoys but i also had some people text me monday morning asking why there wasn't an episode posted uh so we have an obligation jeremy and Absolutely. our obligation is to continue to post episodes on time you and know, that's I, on us that's I, on me I, I, I do. I, I completely agree with you, but I have to break it to you. I actually own both those Twitter accounts. I was just trying to make oh, you feel damn better. It. No, I'm joking. Gosh. No, I, I actually, I, we really appreciate the feedback, guys. Any feedback that you want to send us, please don't hesitate to tweet us, email us, get a hold of us on social media. Yeah, and, and you can do that just by searching Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, also weeklybrewcast.com. And even if you don't like retweet us or comment at us, you can always like our post on Twitter. Right, Jeremy? Absolutely. You can like our posts just like um just just don't be like Ted Cruz. Our 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 incumbent senator, Senator Ted Cruz, his account liked a um a porn post, some sort of porn spam post um here for about six or seven days ago and of course, I think it happened like Monday night around like midnight. Yeah, well, some, no, something I, like that. I got a text from you like probably like 45 minutes after this happened and it was blowing like there, there are people that are monitoring every every politician their Twitter account is being monitored 24-7 by somebody, okay? Ted Cruz is, has no short list of enemies. Um, of course, people are monitoring his Twitter 24-7, so when this popped up, it's like immediately, bam, screen cap, and apparently it was some, some sort of pornographic, whatever. Anyways, but it was so funny because of the ensuing memes and jokes that followed in the literally the, the minutes after this happened. Um, of course, it was deleted, but and, and you know, blamed on an aide, but... Um, hilarious nonetheless. I think what's interesting is the fact that, you know, a politician can create a storm for themselves seemingly over something. And 140 characters. And 140 characters, right. And I mean, let, let's, let's, I mean. Anyone I, can. It, it right. doesn't have to be a politician. It can be any person with a high profile. I mean, right. we saw, what was it, Justine Sacco three or four years ago who was a, I think she was like, what was she, some PR agent or something like that in New York. She got on a plane, made like sort of a racist comment as she was flying to South Africa. I think she said like, I'm going to Africa, hope I don't come back with AIDS. And I do remember by the time terrible. she, by the time she <laughs> landed she was out of a job yeah yeah that's that's very very unfortunate for her um i think what's funny is the fact this was blamed on an aide and really you don't even have to the the politician themselves doesn't even have to have access to their twitter account very oftentimes they defer that to campaign aides to staffers to their chiefs of staff whatever because you know i mean i can't imagine that there's only one politician that i know of that actively tweets and that's the president. Of the the president. States. I don't think anyone else has access to Donald Trump's Twitter. I think no, what they tried to take away they, his access. They they've tried to take it away, but then he just yells "kofefe" and then hides. <laughs> 
I, 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 I no, there's that's that's my one one of my biggest gripes with the president is he will not give up his Twitter account. Yeah, but he's not necessarily the most presidential president that we've had. Um, that's that's arguable, but I, I eh, actually I, I would I love. About hold that. on, let, 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 a little thought experiment here. If we could go back and think about past presidents using Twitter, what would they say? I mean, think about the kind of like awkward tweets you would get from Richard but, Nixon, or maybe the, the. So that's assuming that they would tweet these salacious DMs that John F. Kennedy would send Marilyn Monroe. Okay, over now that Twitter. that could be interesting. That could be a book idea. Absolutely, she could have sing him "Happy Birthday, Mr. President" over Twitter. JFK sliding into Marilyn Monroe's, <laughs> Monroe's DMs. DMs. Can you imagine? Right. Like right now, we have like all these like Instagram famous celebrities. We have all these Instagram famous you know or people on twitter can you imagine you jfk can see, you can see joe dimaggio's envy real time can you imagine jfk and joe dimaggio like in 2017 i it, it's hard for me to imagine actually oh um, my gosh i i of course we can blame um jfk's untimely death on ted cruz's dad who undoubtedly was involved see, in see what we did there we yeah, went full circle <laughs> right. we went full circle full and circle. that's what we do at the weekly brew podcast that's we, right we, if we start a subject we finish it we go full circle uh but uh, you know kind of wrapping up sunday uh, you know I, I i guess it was a good week for the city of houston uh u of h beats rice big win for the cougs the bayou bucket yeah, moving to two and oh on the season uh texans knocking off the Bengals. they had a new england this week astros clinching uh the al west after sweeping the seattle mariners uh, they host the white Sox this week uh exciting times for houston as we are just a few weeks away from uh, the postseason here in baseball and uh i couldn't be more excited could be more excited. And of course, the ongoing cleanup from Hurricane Harvey continues. Um, if you haven't driven through Houston, um, many neighborhoods still have stuff piled on their curbs, you know, 10 feet high. Uh, so it's important for you if you are in a place to give to continue thinking about doing that. And if you can volunteer even better, because a lot of people are still in need and will continue to be in need for some time. Yeah. And there's some great organizations that you can give to. Uh, one that I would recommend is Team Rubicon. We've had Team Rubicon on the show uh, after the, uh, what was it, the Memorial Day or the tax day floods a few years ago. They do great work here in Houston. It's a veteran-led organization, putting people back out into the field, kind of helping the rebuild process. Uh, highly recommend checking them out. I believe their website is teamrubicon.org, uh, but you can definitely just Google Team Rubicon. But uh, Jeremy, it's always great to have you here in studio uh, co-hosting uh, the Weekly Brew podcast. And I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on this week's show. Of course, uh, Hunter, you can follow him, Hunter Atkins 35, bringing on Tim Brown uh, from Monday Morning Quarterback. A great interview. Uh, Justice Don Willett, uh, phenomenal guest, phenomenal interview. And of course, Taylor Bashadi from the NFL Network with uh, Taylor's top takeaways. Uh, Jeremy, I think we crushed it again this week. Absolutely. Looking forward to hopefully not talking about Baylor at all for the next few I weeks. I know. Yeah, it's going to be bad. Yeah. All right. So we <laughs> we are going to uh, leave it on that note. But uh, Jeremy, great to have you in the studio. And uh, we'll talk again soon. So on behalf of my co-host this week, Jeremy Paxton, Hunter Atkins, and all of our guests, my name is Austin Statton. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew. 